Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Phenomenal. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be skate. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig? Today is Friday, February 4th, 2022. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. We are once again talking about uh, killer, killer cops in Minnesota. Folks, in less than 15 seconds, a black man under a blanket murdered in his own apartment. We'll talk about the death of 22-year-old Amir Locke doing a no-knock warrant search. Folks, it is disturbing video and folks in Minnesota, are, uh, Minneapolis, are demanding answers. We will talk with his parents, the attorney, the community activist, and attorney, Nakima Armstrong, about this shameful case. Folks, in Tennessee, a black woman is going to prison for six years for trying to vote. Really? We'll talk with the attorney and the founder of uh, Free Hearts about Pam Moses. Again, folks, unbelievable case out of Tennessee. Y'all remember that black Louisiana State trooper uh, who was a whistleblower revealed the pattern of misconduct and excessive force against black folks? Well, he ultimately was fired. Mm-hmm. That's right. We will talk with him right here along Roller Martin Filter, along with the mother of Ronald Green. Today is World Cancer Day, and Dr. Hadai Nicole Green, one of the uh, top scientists in her field, will join us to talk about the latest discoveries in cancer research. Plus, President Biden's moon uh, reinvigorates his moonshot plan uh, for, to uh, end cancer. And we're talking about the benefits of Montessori education in our Education Matters segment. 
All right, folks, also, we got lots to talk about. Taking your phone calls as well. It's time to bring the funk. I'm Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. All right, folks, a shocking story. We are back in Minneapolis detailing police and the killing of a black man. We're warning you right now. It is a short piece of video, but it is shocking and it is deadly. If you want to turn away, please do so right now. Uh, but we're going to be showing you, folks, this video where 22-year-old Amir Locke was shot by police when executing a no-knock warrant connected to a homicide investigation and he wasn't even a suspect. Folks, Amir didn't have a criminal record. Listen to me, no criminal record whatsoever. It was less than 15 seconds of the moment officers opened the door with a no-knock warrant before killing Amir. Again, we're warning you that this is unbelievable video. If it triggers you, please turn away, walk out of the room. We're giving you enough time uh, to do so. But again, this is back to where we are. Watch this. Police search for it! Police search for it! Police search for it! The man is under a blanket. He's asleep. Officer Mark Hanneman has been identified as the cop who fired the fatal shots. The autopsy said Locke died of multiple gunshot wounds and classified his death as a homicide. All right, folks, we've got a number of guests to talk about this here. Joining us right now uh, is Amir's mother, uh, Karen Wells. The family's attorney is uh, Jeffrey Storms. We're also joined by uh, a Minneapolis activist and attorney, uh, Nakima Levy-Armstrong. Um, let me first of all uh, say this here uh, to you, Ms. Wells, and, and to Amir's father, Andre Locke. He was supposed to join us, but he's not joining us. Our con condolences for the both of you. Uh, I've had to interview numerous uh, black mothers and fathers over the last number of years, and I hate doing so uh, in these cases. So again, our condolences uh, to you and your family and, and all of your loved ones. Uh, what, I'm gonna start first with, um, with Jeffrey. What in the world 
happened. Why are we sitting here talking about this 22-year-old brother being dead? What happened? Roland, we just have a city that refuses to change, and it's refused to change for as long as all of us have been working on civil rights cases in Minnesota and, you know, well before me. Uh, you know, repeatedly, we have people die in a, same, a very similar manner. You know, we had a man named David Smith who was killed almost identical to the way George Floyd was murdered. And they were supposed to provide training to stop that, and they didn't. Everyone knew that no-knock warrants were dangerous and increased the likelihood of death. We all saw that with Brianna Taylor. Minneapolis had a warning. It had a chance to change. It told us it changed. It told us that they had policies in effect that were going to preclude no-knocks. They even advertised it as a ban on no-knocks. But we now know that that's nonsense. It's not true. And now we have this young, innocent man uh, and once again, a, a young, innocent black man who's killed for no reason in Minneapolis because the city refuses to actually be held accountable and show the ability to change. So I'm watching the video, and why are they going to his place? What did did he have? Any, why are they at his place? So, and it wasn't his place. He was a guest at the place he was at. And so far, the details have been sparse in terms of what's been released. But, Roland, what is overwhelmingly clear and has been confirmed by multiple law enforcement agencies, uh, he was nowhere, in, in no fashion, considered to be a suspect or a subject of that warrant. But, okay, was, so, so, so one second. So the place that he was at... Was that person a subject? Well, we all what we're being told at this point was that the warrant was being executed at the proper location, and there was no warrant to seize a person, Roland. That's what's even more outrageous about this. This was a no-knock warrant to seize property uh, and put lives at danger to obtain property. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, so, and, and, and y'all have seen the warrant. Uh, I, I, I'm aware of the contents of the warrant. Okay. So, I, I'm just trying to walk through the facts here. I read one report that when they came in, Amir said that he had a gun. Is that true, yes or no? Is it true when they came, did, did Amir physically possess a gun at some point? He, he was startled from right. his sleep in a matter of seconds touched his gun, never put his finger anywhere near the trigger. We've seen no video that suggests he ever pointed it at any officer or posed a threat with it. It was a young man who had no idea what was going on and was given only a matter of seconds and no opportunity to save his own life. Sec now, is it also true that he had a permit for that gun? Yes. He Yes. So it's he obtained a permit previously in the in the state of Texas, where he lived, and it's um, uh, he was possessing that gun lawfully in the location he was at in the private residence. So, Karen, I, your son is sleeping on a couch, blanket over his head. He's sleeping. Yeah. He has a permit. He has a permit for a gun. Door opens. Folks bust in yelling. 
the natural reaction, look, I, I've, I've never owned a gun, but I would think that the natural, re I don't own a gun, but if, if somebody busts into my house, probably my first reaction is to grab something to protect myself from the folks who are busting in. If I'm asleep, I'm damn sure not hearing you yell, uh, police, police, whatever, whatever they yelled. Um, I mean, th th this has to be just for you, shocking and devastating that it happened again in Minneapolis. Yes, I'm, I'm actually in disbelief um, because I would have never imagined that normally I'm, you know, watching what's going on when it's involving other people, other families, but I would have never imagined that I would be sitting here discussing um, my son being murdered, being killed, so. Um, I'm going to come back to... I'm gonna come back to the, the elements of this case, but for the purpose of our audience, just share with him, humanize your son. Who was he? What did he do? Was he in college? Was, what was he studying? Where was he working? Just share with some people have an understanding that he's not just a hashtag, that he's a human being and, and actually and people, what, what folks should know about him. Actually, Amir was wanting to become an entrepreneur. Um, he worked, he did like DoorDash and he did like Instacart and, um, he also, I helped him, um, get his, um, LLC, um, to start a business. Um, he was really into, uh, doing something for the youth, um, as far as like the clothing brand line that would cater to the youth. Um, he wanted to get into buying property, real estate. Um, he was really all about generational wealth. Um, that was one of his goals that he wanted to do um, as far as, you know, with his family. Um, Amir was kind-spirited. He could make you laugh. Um, he was liked by and, and loved by practically everybody that came in contact with him. He was very respectful, well-mannered. He respected um, his elders um, because that's how we raised him and his older brother. He, whenever we would FaceTime, get off the phone, he would always tell me that he loved me and I would tell him I loved him. The last time I spoke to my son was this past Friday. And he, he was just trying to, you know, do what he was supposed to do. Um, he, are you, where are you, do you, do you live in Minneapolis? Do you live elsewhere? Where are y'all from? Actually, they, he's born and raised in uh, Minnesota. I lived there for over 25 years, and I relocated two years ago to Dallas, Texas, and Amir came with me. Um, so... You know, during that time, Amir had recently went back, um, but he was actually, you know, getting ready to come back. Um, because, and then just different moves that we we're talking about doing as far as me going to another location. Um, so, so you, so, so you still live in Dallas? Uh, and I'm in, go ahead. I'm in Dallas currently. Right, you yeah. still live in Dallas, and so he was in, he was, he was in Minneapolis visiting friends or there for work. He has family there, but he was also doing, like, the Instacart, um, doing that type of work. 
And he also did that work in uh, Dallas. Gotcha. Um, folks, the, the police chief and the mayor uh, held a news conference. And um, uh, Nakima Levy-Armstrong, uh, y'all are familiar with her. We've had her on the show numerous times when she was in the end with, with, of course, leading the NAACP chapter there. She just got sick and tired of listening to what they had to say. Uh, watch this. This is what I would call the anatomy of a cover-up. This is unacceptable. I'm sorry, it is. When I agreed to work with you on the work group, we talked about the importance of transparency and accountability. And here, what we are seeing is business as usual. And you know this, Amelia. You know this, Jacob. I don't know how you guys slept that night. I couldn't sleep at night. Tears from a mother's perspective, thinking about what happened. I saw the picture of Amir, he looks like a boy. My son is 17 years old. He has slept on his friend's couches for sleepovers. So we cannot sit here and whitewash this and pretend that it's okay. You knew that I was not gonna stand for police violence and a push for accountability, yet you asked me to be a part of the work group and I knew what I thought I was signed up for. This isn't what I signed up for. I understand if you're not comfortable having me continue to co-chair, that's your prerogative. I signed up to help bring recommendations because we're tired of being killed. We're tired of the cover-ups. We're tired of the excuses. And to hide behind the St. Paul Police Department, the deadliest police force in the state of Minnesota is unacceptable. You all had no business agreeing to carry out a, a warrant, and now you're claiming that's part of their investigation. You don't know. Well, why the hell did you all sign up to do this in the first place? There was a homicide that happened at one something in the morning on Hennepin Avenue. Someone was killed, and then the person drove away in a black SUV. They're still at large in Minneapolis, potentially a threat to residents. But you all go do something for St. Paul police, and now you're trying to hide behind that decision. It's not acceptable. We are ready for change. When the people voted to reelect you, Jacob, they not only showed that they wanted to see a new leader, right? Not saying you're not the person who got reelected, you got reelected. But what they were expecting is a new beginning. That's why they gave you more power and authority. So that is what we want to see as the residents of Minneapolis. We don't want to see cover-ups. We don't want to see whitewashing. People are asking very simple questions that have still not been answered. Amelia, you're saying you want to be the chief? Then act like it. Demonstrate integrity. Don't cover up for what those cops did. If they knew that the kid had a gun as he started waking up, say, drop your weapon. They didn't do that. One cop opened fire and took the life of a child who was trying to go back into his blanket. Any mom can see what happened there. So I can't tolerate the whitewashing. I'm sorry, y'all. We can't do this. Nakima joins us right now. Nakima, um, uh, it's always good to have you. I hate to have to have you under, under these circumstances. Um, you said in that video, Minneapolis was helping St. Paul. Uh, explain that, folks, because Minneapolis and St. Paul are two different cities. Yes, they are. When this incident initially happened, the chief of the Minneapolis Police Department 
put out a statement saying that the Minneapolis Police Department was executing a warrant on behalf of the St. Paul Police Department as a part of a homicide investigation. And today, the St. Paul Police Department is now trying to cover their butts. They put out a statement claiming that they never asked the Minneapolis Police Department for a no-knock warrant. They said the Minneapolis Police Department insisted upon a no-knock warrant. And that's how all of this transpired. Interesting. Has there been any response from the Minneapolis police chief, the Minneapolis mayor, to what St. Paul said? Has the St. Paul mayor uh, come out and said anything? There has been no response from the Minneapolis mayor, the St. Paul mayor, the Minneapolis police chief, or the St. Paul police chief. We ha still have a lot more questions than answers. From my perspective, it's very clear that a cover-up is at work, and they thought they were going to be able to get away with it because there was a young black man in possession of a firearm. But thank God for the family of Amir Locke, who could give us information about the fact that he was licensed to carry a firearm, he had his conceal and carry permit, and he was well within his Second Amendment rights to have a firearm on his possession. Um, you mentioned being a part of the work group. There were, there were a lot of things that took place after the death of George Floyd, but there were other shootings prior to George Floyd. Um, so were no-knock warrants banned? Were they stricken uh, from uh, the city of Minneapolis? What's the deal there? So in November of 2020, the uh, Minneapolis Police Department and the mayor said that they had updated their uh, no-knock warrant uh, policy and essentially uh, said that they were placing restrictions upon the use of no-knock warrants. Prior to that policy change, Minneapolis had conducted approximately 139 no-knock warrants in the city. There were folks who critiqued uh, Minneapolis's uh, proposal, saying that it still left too much discretion for police officers to use no-knock warrants in circumstances that were not like a hostage crisis or exigent circumstances. Uh, and we see that at play here. If there was a policy put in place in November of 2020 restricting the use of no-knock warrants, then why was it so easy for Minneapolis police officers to get a no-knock warrant in this situation? But again, they've tried to cover their tracks. They've tried to hide behind the St. Paul Police Department and the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension when they should be held accountable for providing information in this situation and they should be held accountable for the police murder of Amir Locke. And I'm being very clear in calling this murder. Jeffrey, this is um, somewhat reminiscent of Louisville Police. Breonna Taylor. Cops come storming in, no-knock warrant, her boyfriend in possession of a weapon, startled, shocked, begins to fire because one doesn't just sit there and think people are going to bust their door down. This is why activists who people criticize when they, say, when they say defund the police, and they're not talking about get rid of cops, so, although there are people who say, you know, abolish police departments. What people are saying is you have to make changes because Black folks are the ones who end up being killed by these actions. And 
you don't know what's on the other side of that particular door. These cops are trained to uh, shoot to kill, and then, oh, we'll just explain later. And watching that video uh, is just a clear example of common sense says if a person is sleeping in their domicile and somebody busts through the door, they're going to grab anything near them to protect them. And the way cops operate is if he, if he reaches for, grabs a gun, or even, hell, if he grabbed a cell phone to call 911, in their mind, oh, that looked like a gun, and they're justified in shooting and killing. Oh, you're right, Roland, because they're going to try to make this sound like this was a split-second decision, and it wasn't. This was the culmination of very many deliberate decisions that when they applied for the warrant, when the warrant was granted, before it was executed, when they created the policies years ago, they had a number of deliberate steps that they could have taken to never have that officer there at that moment in time to then say, well, we're stuck making a split-second decision. No legal gun owner, Roland, who sleeps with their gun by their side, which many gun owners do, could have lived through that situation. So we have to not ever allow the police in that situation. And we can do that through proper policies that we actually enforce, because what do we usually see, Roland, that it happens to our black Americans, right, as opposed to uh, white America. We don't see this happen in a lot of the neighborhoods in white America. We see it happen to our black brothers and sisters all the time. And in the comfort of City Hall, they could have stopped this from happening years ago if they would have actually enacted a policy that worked and enforced it. Uh, I don't want to play the video because uh, I don't want... Um as well as to have to look at that um, right here. But as I think about that video, if you're storming into an apartment, no taser. No taser. They're walking in, guns blazing. If they walk in and some, if, if they walk in and someone's under a blanket and someone has a taser, you can fire that to actually stun them. No, they didn't do that. And, 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 and this is, you're absolutely right. This is what we're gonna keep, we're gonna get used to hearing, oh, you know, it's a no-knock warrant. We don't know what's on the other side of that door. And so, but to your point, they were supposed to be seeking property. That, Miss Wells, is what is even more ridiculous, that if you had a warrant for property, why are you coming in guns blazing? And now you're having to deal with the grief and burying your child. <laughs> I agree. I, like I said, I'm so in disbelief. I'm shocked that I'm even here. Um, Nakima, uh, your final point. It's long overdue for a change to our system of policing in the city of Minneapolis. Black people are fed up with being brutalized by the police. We're fed up with police being allowed to kill people with impunity. We're fed up with elected officials making excuses to maintain the status quo. So we will continue to be vigilant, be out on the front lines, disrupting business as usual until we see the changes that we want to see. And we stand in solidarity with the family of Amir Locke, 
and we will do whatever it takes to get justice on his behalf. Um, Nakima, we appreciate it. Um, Thank you. Jeffrey, um, we appreciate it. Um, again, Ms. Wells, uh, our condolences, and please extend them to Emil's father, uh, Andre, as well. Thank you. Thank you. We, um, people ask me all the time, they say, um, matter of fact, let me, let me go back. When I was at TV One, we, um, <laughs> TV One was talking to the president of the network. He was white. And we were talking about subject matter on the show. And he says to me, well, it seems like it's the same thing every day. And I said, yes, black people are being shot and killed and beat my police every single day. And <laughs> he wanted me to do an explainer as to why we were doing the stories that we were doing. And I looked at him and I said, hell no, I'm not doing that. I said, I don't need to explain to black people why we're doing these stories. You, you're white, you're looking for me to explain and I'm not doing it. And I said, why don't you worry about the other programming at TV One and you leave the news to me? Oh, he was shocked by that. But I didn't care because that's why I was managing editor of the show, meaning I had final say-so on editorial content. And see, folks will say these things to us. Well, hey, y'all always covering this stuff. Yes, because it keeps happening to us. I can guarantee you that if there's a plethora of white people being shot and killed by cops through no-knock warrants, oh, it's going to be on Fox News, ABC, CBS, NBC, CBS. I, I guarantee you that. Oh, it's going to be all on CNN. And so we hate to have to do this. I hear people say, oh, my God, this is like black porn. And I totally get that. I totally get people who say we should not keep showing these videos. But let me say this as I bring in my panel. If we do not provide a platform for the family of folks like Amir Locke, for their lawyers, for activists like Nakima Levy-Armstrong, there is no guarantee that others will. And so it's our job to provide them a place to tear their story, to humanize their sons and daughters, but also to be able to galvanize you to keep putting pressure. Because, see, it was a lot of people in America who were out in the streets across the United States and all across the world
for George Floyd. Where are those white folks today? And Latinos and Asian Americans and Native Americans. There were folks who were conservative. There were people there. A lot of them were liberal and progressive. Oh, there were people in there who were queer, who were same-sex loving. Oh, then there those others who were heterosexual. Where y'all at? Because we still here and still dealing with the same thing. Matt Manning is a civil rights attorney. Michael Imhotep is the host of the African History Network show. Akila Bethea is a communication strategist. Matt, I want to start with you. Uh, watching that video, shocking, stunning, unbelievable, and all this brother was doing was trying to get some sleep. It's an execution. <clears throat> it was an execution. It's absolutely no uh, basis for it. It's indefensible. And uh, Ms. Wells' attorney was spot on. What they're going to start saying is this was a split-second decision, exigency, all the normal BS that we hear. This is absolutely indefensible. He was asleep under a blanket, waking up, and the officers didn't take the time to even ascertain if he was a threat. Um, I imagine the city of Minneapolis is going to pay a hefty sum in this case because they're going to realize how indefensible it is. But what's so problematic about these cases is that it is so hard for plaintiffs in these cases to vindicate their very clearly violated constitutional rights. Um, so this is a, more of a systemic issue, the way the courts deal with this in qualified immunity, because people are brutalized every day with no chance of recovery. And God willing, the Wells will have that here. But this is purely indefensible. There's nothing to say beyond that. And you know what? Michael, I'm on the NRA's Twitter page right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> y'all can't... I, I want to I show y'all what the assholes at the NRA have on their page right now. Mm-hmm. And if y'all want to understand how they only give a damn about the Second Amendment rights of white folks? This is what the NRA posted nine hours ago. Let crim Dear Joe Biden, let criminals walk. Same criminals commit more crimes. Come on, man. A teen charged with shooting an NYPD cop. <laughs> then they had... Oh! Then they had to retweet from the NRA women, mm -hmm. a tweet honoring Ida B. Wells Barnett. Oh, but let me help y'all out. The NRA <laughs> says she was an educator, journalist, and civil rights crusader. She was also an advocate of the use of firearms for self-defense. She was an advocate for our firearms of self-defense because black folks were getting lynched. Exactly. Exactly. And I don't see a damn thing from the NRA. Go back. Nothing. Nothing. Saying, doggone shame, what happened to a law-abiding Second Amendment rights carrier. Nothing. I see nothing about a mere lock.
and they and they probably won't say anything about Amir Locke. This is one of the bullet points, one of the questions I have here on my notes. Where are the Second Amendment people? Where's the NRA? Look how long it took the NRA to put out a statement when it came to uh, Philando Castile, who had a concealed pistol license, who was legally carrying. And when you study the uh, concealed pistol license laws in the state of uh, Minnesota, where he was killed, he went above and beyond because based upon the state of Minnesota, if you have a, a, a CPL and you have your gun on you, you're not obligated to tell the police that you have your gun on you. He went above and beyond it, uh, above and beyond and told Officer Yanis he had his off his piece on him, his uh, pistol on him. So, uh, you know, I, I looked at this as well. I looked at the reporting from uh, NBC News and looked at the uh, footage. This looks like an execution. Number one, number two. Then this calls into question, Roland. Okay, so uh, one of the first things I noticed is that. They use the key to enter into the apartment, okay? And when you and and the um, reporting said that the officers chose to use a key. So I, I, I just, I'm just wondering, okay, so why did they choose to use a key to enter? Number one, number two, um, it's clear that Amir was under a blanket, probably asleep. He has a gun now. How are officers supposed to execute search warrants when they enter somebody's home and you have people who are legally owning guns? Because they don't know what's going on. You, you break in, and the first thing somebody is going to do is grab that gun, okay? So, uh, and, and the other thing is, is that um, what, it's not clear that Amir was ordered to drop the gun. Now, you heard one officer say, show me your hands, but it's not clear he was ordered to drop the gun, which, once again, is really problematic in the fault of the police as well. So this is this is a deep case, but I wonder when are the Second Amendment people and the NRA going to uh, start voicing their opinions? And then when you ask where the, where the white people who were protesting for George Floyd, uh, we can ask where the white women who are out there protesting for George Floyd, because you, you should be talking about the Voting Rights Bill, the Voting Rights Act, because that impacts you and your women's reproductive rights also. Kelly, again, th th this is the fundamental problem with these no-knock warrants. The person on the other side of the door is minding their business. This is why you have got to be... If you're going to have this, you've got to be 100 percent sure and confident that you got the right address and the right person. But here's the problem even with that. He's visiting. If, if, if you... If I had you, Matt, and Michael over to my home for dinner and we playing cards, and I live in Virginia, and Texas, both of them right to carry states. Mm -hmm. And if we sitting here playing cards and the cops bust in looking for me, you carrying a gun, you startled, you like, hell, I don't know who busting through, you gonna go for your gun. Then the cops kill you. Oh, well, I, sorry. She just happened to be there or be executing. This is the type of wrong policing that, go, that goes on. And then when people go, man, why y'all protesting? Exhibit 
1,468. So this doesn't even look like policing to me at all. This looks like a modern-day state-sponsored lynching to me because it makes absolutely no sense that a split-second decision should result in someone's death. I really don't feel like killing someone should be a split-second decision when you have that much power that is state-sanctioned. Um, when you're talking about no-knock warrants, I personally believe they should be unconstitutional because, again, these are police officers entering your domain um, with or without your permission. Um, in this case, clearly without permission. On top of that, again, like you said, this wasn't even his home. He's visiting. So the fact that they did this while he was sleeping, it just feels like he was killed because he was sleeping and he reacted as a result of him waking up. And I'm frankly just tired of, of black skin being perceived as a threat. And you would think that this state, of all the states in the past two years, that Minnesota would know better, given George Floyd, given the other uh, deaths that have happened in that state. And just for stats' sake, nationwide, in 2021, just last year, you know, 30-plus days ago, 15 days, that's how many days that police officers did not kill someone in the line of duty. 15 days out of 365 for 2021, that's how many days police officers did not kill somebody. So something is clearly wrong with the system when you are supposed to serve and protect when and, and all you're doing is seek killing and destroying communities in the line of duty. It is absolutely ridiculous. We um, will continue to um, cover this case break down uh, what goes on, what is happening there, getting as many, as many answers as we can. Uh, I know many of you have got lots to say about it, so if you want to uh, speak on this, uh, you can call, give us a call right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered, 202-809, excuse me, 202-890-1199, 202-890-1199. Don't forget, uh, one of those folks who are members of our Bring the Funk fan club uh, can comment. Uh, that's right. Uh, it's called uh, a perk and a privilege. Uh, we cross-reference those names. So when you call in, you might want to give your name. We'll look it up. Uh, of course, if you want to join our Bring the Funk fan club, all you got to do uh, is do so. You can join via Cash App, dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zelle is Roland at RolandSMartin.com. Roland at RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Uh, some of you uh, do not want, some of y'all hit me all the time and y'all say, look, uh, I don't I don't use all that sort of stuff. They want to be old school and mail in a check or a money order. Uh, we have the address now for y'all to do so. If y'all have the graphic for that, uh, let me know. If you not don't, uh, we should have it. But uh, you can see in P.O. Box uh, 57196, Washington, D.C. Uh, uh, again, 57196. Uh, do I have the uh, zip code on that one, folks? Uh, let's see here. I want to make sure that we, we have everything right for y'all. 
uh, again, y'all been hitting me up, emailing me, saying I want something, to I need to mail something in. Uh, and so uh, we made it possible, went ahead and uh, got the P.O. box, got everything uh, locked in uh, and confirmed. Uh, so uh, P.O. box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037, 20037. All right, folks, got to go to break. We come back. We're going to talk about this unbelievable, shocking, pathetic, ridiculous case out of Tennessee where a black woman uh, is going to prison for six years for attempting to vote. This ain't the same story as a black woman in Texas who got five years and they still are trying to put the sister in prison. This is now in Tennessee. You're watching Roller Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. the next Get Wealthy, why black women are deeper in student loan debt than anyone else. I wanted to be the next Connie Chung. Nothing was going to get in my way. What was placed in front of me was a promissory note that said that, hey, if you sign this document, you can be able to achieve your dream. Not really understanding the full foresight of what I was going to be experiencing right after college. Learn how you can turn it around and get wealthy in the process. Right here on Black Star Network with me, Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach, host of Get Wealthy. chair take your seat the black tape with me dr greg carr here on the black star network every week we'll take a deeper dive into the world we're living in join the conversation only on the black star network life is what your creator gave you for free style is what you do with it Astronaut Mae Jameson. Hello, everyone. It's Kiara Sheard. Hey, I'm Taj. I'm Coco. And I'm Lily. And we're SWV. What's up, y'all? It's Ryan Destiny, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered.
All right, folks, you know, we've been covering the issue of voting uh, in this country, and it is uh, just utterly strange I mean, in terms of what we've been dealing with. Um, you know, first of all, Republicans have been uh, doing their part to, um, <laughs> to in, in, in pass all these voter suppression bills, uh, which we've been seeing uh, lots of that happening. Um, and one of the things in Tennessee, remember we covered the story where they were literally trying to criminalize folks who were registering those to vote? Yeah, got And that was being fought by civil rights organizations. Now we have this incredible story that is unbelievable, shocking, and ridiculous. Pam Moses is going to spend the next six years in jail, in prison. Why? Because she was found guilty of trying to illegally register to vote in 2019. Now, folks, Moore was permanently deemed ineligible to vote in Tennessee because of her 2015 tampering with evidence conviction. But she only voted because of a mistake by the state's Department of Corrections. I, I know you may be saying, okay, this is wild, this is crazy, but we're going to unpack this here uh, with attorney uh, Dr. Biday Anya. Anyawu, hope I said that correctly, as well as activist uh, Don Harrington, the executive director of Free Hearts. Let's, um, okay, so that, that, that was a, um, there was a thread that I saw that, that was an unbelievable thread on Twitter where they laid out where a letter was even presented in court saying this was incorrect, this wasn't her fault. I mean, they, they laid out... Anybody who reads, saw all these basic facts will conclude, yo, it was a basic mistake. Folks screwed up. The woman shouldn't be going to prison. What the hell happened? What happened here? Attorney, you can go ahead and start first. Well, thank you for having me. Um, <laughs> this is... Um something that um, each time since the sentence was handed down I reflect on why did this happen why was she sentenced why is she serving time on on mistakes that were made by the Department of Corrections um, your your opening says something about trying to illegally vote. No, she did not try to illegally vote. She tried to regi register to legitimize herself to get back into the voting record. That's basically what it's all about. And she did not falsify the, any document. She went to the appropriate department. The department is the, that is the keeper of records, corrections department, to verify that the time that was handed to her has expired. And the, that department of records ascertained that her time has expired. 
And with that information, he proceeded to the court to get the uh, the go to, to get the court to certify that her time has expired. She was slammed with falsification of documents. Not just that, the judge on the case, over time, stated that she tricked the probation department. Tricked, tricked. So it calls to question how this judge is able to know what you and I are thinking as we speak right now. And where he, that judge failed to know what you and I are thinking, it calls to question why that judge should still be there as a judge. And where that judge is unable to also understand that the keeper of records is the Department of Corrections. It, all, it also calls to question why that judge should be there. I analogize it to going to a college campus, going to the president's office asking for your transcript. Compare that to going to the Board of Trustees going to, to get your transcript, and then compare that to going to the registrar's office for your transcript. Which of the three offices is the keeper of the student's record? The registrar's office. And that is where she went. She went to the Department of Corrections, the keeper of her record. How many, how long she has served and with that, she did everything humanly possible, legally, to get her rights to vote restored, in order not to be disenfranchised. Rather, what she got was six years and a day. And that is, that is mind-boggling. I, I want to pull Don to this conversation. Don, it's just, again, it, if anyone with a brain just followed what happened here, you had a series of mistakes that took place six years in prison. I mean, the, the cost, if you said the average cost to taxpayers is to incarcerate someone, let's say it's 25 grand in Tennessee, you're gonna spend $150,000 of taxpayer money because somebody tried to register to vote? Re seriously? And you know what? The, the thing that we see in our work all the time, there are so many mistakes. The fact that um, the state made a mistake on Pamela Moses' case is not an anomaly. Um, with Free Hearts, we work with people all across the state um, over a thousand people in every single county with getting their voting rights back. And literally, it's a roll of the dice if the information that you're going to get is correct or if it's not going to be correct. Tennessee disenfranchises over 450,000 people, and there's over 365,000 people who are officer, uh, 
convention and might be able to get their voting rights restored. But since 2016, only 3,400 people have been able to get their rights restored. And so this is voter suppression and specifically about suppressing the black vote. This was specifically in Pam Moses's case, very vindictive. The judge was extremely biased. And um, in comparison, one of our white formerly incarcerated sisters that's in our organization, she, when she tried to register to vote and she was not eligible, she received a letter that said, please be advised that your voting rights in Sullivan County, Tennessee cannot be restored at this time for the reasons listed below. This is our first time seeing that someone actually getting criminalized for the mistakes that they make so often to the point we filed a lawsuit with Campaign Legal Center, Equal Justice Under the Law, Tennessee, NAACP, and Baker Donaldson. So, you know, it, this is very clear what we're talking about here in the same city that assassinated Martin Luther King. And, um, you know, the governor really needs to grant her clemency and let her out, because this is unacceptable. Um, uh, first of all, what is that, uh, uh, BD, what is that possibility? So what's your next legal step? What's next for you? She has some legal remedies. One of them is to uh, file a motion for, for a new trial. Um, the next one is... Um, um, perfecting her appeal by filing notice of appeal in her case, assuming that the judge did not grant a uh, motion for a new trial, and also uh, an appeals bond so she can be out pending her, her, her appeal. But the judge denied uh, that uh, motion as well. So at this time, there are two um, motions that will be one is to file a motion for a new trial, and if that is denied, is to file an appeal at the, with the Tennessee Court of Criminal Appeals. Uh, Dawn, uh, what's next for you and others there? Because this is, I mean, this is, this is just outrageous. So we're just going to keep fighting right now. We're raising money uh, for Pam's legal defense, and people can send money at Cash App P. Moses. Um, we're also getting together a petition because while the other remedies are being worked on, the governor can actually um, grant her clemency. And the petition is bit.ly forward slash free P. Moses. And we're just trying to raise awareness to as many people as we can. And hopefully everybody is as outraged as we are, because at the end of the day, she should never be incarcerated right now for the mistakes of the state. All right, uh, folks, we certainly appreciate both of you. And um, hopefully we'll, the best happens. And she does have to spend time in prison as a result of this uh, basic mistake. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Um, you know, this is the thing here, Kelly, that uh, we're going to see this increase, especially with the Republican voter suppression bills uh, that were passed. We're seeing the rejection of ballots in uh, Georgia, in Texas, and places along those lines. And so it, it's going to, it, it is going to happen. 
It, it's so interesting to me, and not that it was brought up in this particular segment, but there have been segments where people, um, at least in the comment section, talk about like, oh, our vote means nothing. It's not even that important. If it wasn't that important, they wouldn't be working this hard to steal it or to imprison um, someone for trying to use that power. It is absolutely, uh, it's a shame. It is an absolute shame that our vote, which is so political, is tied to our humanity, such that when you are out of prison, yes, you are a convicted felon, but you are still a human being who is living in this country, who still has to pay taxes, who still has to contribute to society in an um, upstanding manner. And yet the one thing that gives you power in this country, they take that away. That's it. It's, it's just inhumane. It is inhumane for you to tie our humanity to something so political and then take that away. Because in essence, when you take away our vote, at least in this country, you are taking away our humanity because we're no longer a person counted. So the fact that she did everything she could to make sure that her humanity counted and the state said, no, it doesn't. As a matter of fact, you're so inhuman that we're going to put you in jail for six years and a day just to remind you how inhuman you are. Uh, Think about it, how insidious that is. Uh, it makes no sense whatsoever. Before I go to Michael and Matt, again, I want to get the phone number. If you want to call in, folks, uh, to weigh in on the stories we've covered thus far, please do so. The number to call is 202-890-1199, 202-890-1199. And remember, if you remember the Bring the Funk Fan Club, you get to speak uh, and share your thoughts with us. Uh, uh, Matt, uh, on this here, again, I mean, six years in prison, Re really? Seriously? It's absurd. It, this is this is and, uh, again for attempting to vote. Yet you got white folks down in Florida who actually voted illegally for Donald Trump. Uh, you don't see, and then you got Glenn Youngkin's son who tried to vote twice in the wrong location in Virginia. Ah, uh, it's just a basic mistake, and he's all good. Go ahead. Look, we the the word of the night is indefensible. That's that's all this is. Pure, purely. And we know that if it were a white woman we were talking about, the outcome would be different. But the thing that boggles my mind about this case is that there were a number of steps where the state was not only wrong, but admitted to being wrong, and that those have a direct nexus to the, the, the mental state under which she was prosecuted. So for those people out there, when you're prosecuted under an offense, right, they usually have a mental state. Here she was prosecuted for, quote, knowingly uh, seeking to vote fraudulently. The reason we know that's problematic is because the state had told her she could do it in a certified document. So I looked at Tennessee's rule. It's Rule 13E on appeal. I don't see how this stands up on appeal, because from the mental state standpoint, she had every reason to believe she had a right to vote. Um, the judge thinking that she was trying to trick some probation officer is ironic, because that means the judge thinks the probation officer is too dumb to do his or her job correctly. But as that relates to Ms. Moses, I don't know how you claim that she knowingly uh, tried to vote illegally when the state itself told her that she could do so. So I, I'm optimistic that on appeal, um, the, the appeals court will find that this should not stand. Michael. Yeah, Roland, you know, this is, uh, this is some more nonsense right here. First of all, uh, you have um, Tennessee officials who conceded that they made a series of mistakes concerning Pamela Moses' uh, voting eligibility. 
uh, number one. Number two, she said the uh, when she was when she pled guilty um, in a case in 2015, she said, and it was a, a, a felony. She said she was never. No one ever told her that she could not vote. Okay, here you have a situation where she tried to register to vote. And she's getting six years in prison. But if we look at Nevada, Donald Kirk Hartle uh, was uh, uh, received probation when he uh, tried when he tried to vote twice. Uh, Bruce Bartma and uh, Robert Richard in Pennsylvania they got caught voting twice as well. You've had cases where you you had people like in Pennsylvania trying to vote uh, for uh, somebody who was dead, may have been a dead relative, something like that. Uh, and then in Ohio, Edward Snodgrass was uh, jailed for just three days for voting twice. So we, we see a stark difference. We see almost like a death penalty when you have someone African-American who tries to register to vote. She didn't, she didn't vote. She tried to register to vote, okay? And uh, you have uh, case, documented cases of white, pe white people, especially white men, voting for Trump twice and they're getting a slap on the wrist. Okay, so um, hopefully she can win on the appeal because this is, I mean, this is wrong. And and then you have Tennessee officials that admit they made mistakes. Yep. In this case, also. Absolutely. I want to go to the phone lines. Gail Fordham from New York. Uh, Gail, what's on your mind? I don't ever miss your program. Pretty Kelly Michael. And I don't remember the young man that is uh, the lawyer that's there. That's his Matt. name. That's Matt. But Matt, I appreciate all of you and I learned from you. I am 75 years old. And Roland, I've adopted you as my second son. <laughs> so I got, I, this is my learning school and I don't answer no phone or nothing. Until I hear from you, I got a pen and paper, and I write everything down. I want to say to you, I love that you're on this show, and I support you 100%. And as far as I'm concerned, I think what I really want to say is that everything that's happening, it is because of white fear. And I went back to school after I retired in 2009, and they called me the mom of the class, and we had a black history class. And I was telling all of the students in the class, history's repeating itself. And this was in 2016. I said, nothing is happening now that has not happened when I was 15 and 16 years old. And right now, I remember reading the book called by Bruce Wright called uh, Black Robes, White Justice. That's just what's happening now. This whole judicial system needs to be torn down because as far as they're concerned, we're still their property. And until we realize that we were not supposed to be a part of that Constitution and we've got to fight for it until the day we die, hopefully we will get it right so that your children and my son will have a chance. Because right now, we don't have a chance unless we fight. And everybody I meet, I tell them, you better vote. You gotta vote. That's the only way I see that we have. And Kelly, you're absolutely right. 15 days, they shoot us in the back, 
any way they can, they will take us out of here and use an excuse of fear. Because as far as we're concerned, we're a threat to them because they are a recessive gene. And I know you all know that. Gail Fordham. And that's what I have to say. Gail, I appreciate you calling. Thank you so very much for watching. Thanks a lot. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Let's go to Chandra Woodley, also in New York. Hey, Chandra. Chandra, you're on the air. Every, every day, I live with the deaths of so many um, black bodies uh, murdered by police. Uh, Clifford Glover was 10 years old in 1973 in Queens, New York. My son was six years old. Ramali Graham, we just um, commemorated the 10th anniversary of his death. February 2nd, Groundhog's Day, my children's godson's birthday. And um, my heart is just so full. Going on to today, Amadou Diallo was killed by police February 1999, February 4th, today, the birthday of my daughter and godson. Trayvon Martin coming up February 26th. Uh, Ten years, my brother's birthday. Patrick Dorismond, March 16th coming up. 22 years, my son's birthday. John Crawford III in Beaver Creek, Ohio, August 5th, 2014, my other brother's birthday. Dante Wright was killed on my grandmother's 30th anniversary. And now today I hear about Amir Locke two days ago. This is just heartbreaking, and I live with it. I can't forget it. And I thank you for what you do. And I just want these families to know that they will live in my spirit and my heart until the day I die. And let's stop calling this stuff tragedies. They are not tragedies. They are travesties. Mm. And thank you. Chandra. Have a good night. Chandra, we'll, yes. we appreciate it. Thanks for calling. Have a good night. Thank Bye -bye. you very much. Uh, folks, we'll be taking more of your phone calls throughout the show. Going to go to a break right now. We come back. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the case out of Louisiana, the Ronald Green case. Uh, the governor uh, acknowledged that he was notified uh, uh, early, uh, a few hours after uh, Green actually died at the hands of police. We'll talk with the state trooper uh, who blew the whistle. They've now fired him as a result. Plus, we'll talk with the mother of Ronald Green. You're watching Roller Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network.
am Dr. Jackie Hood-Martin, and I have a question for you. Ever feel as if your life is teetering and the weight and pressure of the world is consistently on your shoulders? Well, let me tell you, living a balanced life isn't easy. Join me each Tuesday on Black Star Network for a balanced life with Dr. Jackie. We'll laugh together, cry together, pull ourselves together, and cheer each other on. So join me for new shows each Tuesday on Black Star Network, A Balanced Life with Dr. Jackie. impacted by the culture, whether we know it or not. From politics to music and entertainment, it's a huge part of our lives, and we're going to talk about it every day right here on The Culture with me, Faraji Muhammad, only on the Black Star Network. I don't have to be what you want me to be. I'm free to be who I want to be. Boxing champion, Muhammad Ali. All right, folks, some breaking news out of North Carolina. Go to my computer, please. The North Carolina State Supreme Court, uh, they have ruled unconstitutional the gerrymandered districts by Republicans uh, set in that particular state. Uh, they, have, they have ordered them to be redrawn. We keep telling y'all elections have consequences. Democrats hold a 4-3 to three majority on the state Supreme Court. That is the only reason that this de decision uh, actually came down. Democrats are actually finding success all across the country. Uh, taking these Republican maps uh, to the courts. And so, again, uh, in uh, North Carolina, uh, this, this is a piece right here is about from the, uh, uh, the um, newspaper uh, there, uh, again, uh, where the Charlotte Observer, where the North Carolina Supreme Court, again, has ruled that the, the maps, uh, gerrymandered maps, the Republicans did to decrease uh, the, the representation of Democrats in Congress, including the black representation, have ruled those to be unconstitutional and must be redrawn. And so uh, that breaking news coming out of North Carolina. Folks, let's talk about the story out of Louisiana. We've been discussing this for quite some time, uh, and that is the case of Ronald Green, the black man uh, who died at the hands of police, a massive cover of up. Uh, the Louisiana State Troopers uh, have been lying left and right about exactly what took place uh, in that particular case. This week, uh, the uh, governor uh, actually um, announced that he was made aware of Ronald Green's death several hours after it happened, but he never talked about that on the campaign trail. Huh. Why is that? Uh, joining us right now is the mother of Ronald Green, uh, Mona Harton. She's out of Florida. And uh, also, Carl Cavalier, he is the whistleblower 
uh, from Huma, Louisiana. Uh, and we're going to hear about his case. And remember, uh, they were trying to get him fired uh, because he blew the whistle of misconduct. First, I want to start with you, Mona. Um, there was a meeting yesterday. We were supposed to have you on yesterday, but y'all were in meetings taking place with the governor and others. And so what was the outcome? What was discussed in that meeting? The meeting that... You're talking about from the governor? Yes, or? yeah, yeah. In terms of the meetings that y'all were involved in on yesterday. Uh, the day before. Sorry, day before. Was the governor. Yes. Okay. Um, as far as that goes, that was, that was nothing but something for him to stick his head up and just, it was, it was fake. It was, it was, it was so fraudulent. The fact that he said that there, he, there was no part, he took no part of, of uh, what happened to my son at the very beginning. And it wasn't until we pushed buttons that he started rearing his head up. And the fact that he did, how he did, uh, almost three years later, it's just, it's just to save his own neck. It doesn't matter who he throws under the bus at this point. Did he give you any indication uh, that he is going to be more aggressive in demanding answers from Louisiana not, State Police? I'm sorry to interrupt. I've not spoke to anyone. Uh, and uh, as far as being, other than the fact that they've been in investigation, that's all we've been told from the very beginning. Uh, and uh, even at the very beginning, we weren't told anything anything. Uh, and uh, if it wasn't for the fact that we have so many people behind the scenes that are willing to speak up, they're tired of what's going on, uh, this wouldn't be made possible, I can't think, for all those that's been involved in this, because this needs to stop. This organized crime within the state of Louisiana, this has been going on for too long. And the sad part is uh, it's, it's not just my son. It's many more. You use the right phrase there, organized crime in this state. Uh, Carl, I want to bring you in. You blew the whistle on what was taking place. Um, what has now been the outcome of the case, in your case? Well, in my case, uh, first of all, I think you can tell from Ms. Mona's response um, how political this thing has become and how political it's been from the start for me, from my understanding, um, from my standpoint, the governor was forced. That, that response that the governor gave was forced. It was forced on behalf of the Black Caucus. And um, that's not to say to pat the Black Caucus on their back, because my opinion is that uh, this case got caught up into a political whirlwind and it's still caught up in a political whirlwind on the uh, end of the Black Caucus and the end of the governor, because um, throughout last year, you could see the Black, members of the Black Caucus on a golf course with the governor the whole time. Ms. Mona, myself, and other people, uh, part of this case, were screaming, you know, hey, there's a cover-up, there's a cover-up, uh, putting evidence out in the news, there's a cover-up, there's a cover-up. All of a sudden now, at this point, everyone is, um, you know, seem to be more involved now, seem to, to want to speak up and speak out about something now because of these text messages come forward about the governor. My thing is this, if um, I don't understand why some members of the Black Caucus were so quick to jump out in front, you know, of the governor 
to the governor of defense and saying that, hey, you know, we need more evidence. We can't jump jump the gun on this. We, we need more evidence. Um, that just screamed politics to me. And I understand, you know, politics are necessary uh, as far as, uh, you know, elections coming and then, you know, the redistricting and gerrymandering. I get all that. But a, a man died at the end of the day. But to answer your question, um, what's going on with my situation is that I'm, I filed an appeal. So I have to go through the process of uh, trying to get my job back, uh, trying to seek, you know, um, just, uh, just, just, just some type of, um, I don't know, uh, reparations for 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 what they've done to me. So uh, that's where I'm at with that. So you so you've been officially fired by the Louisiana State Troopers. That's correct. And that's you're correct. and you're filing the appeal to get your job back. That's correct. See, that's the thing there, uh, Mona. I mean, the reality is, uh, had Carl not come forward and blown the whistle, uh, we wouldn't we, we wouldn't be here. They, they lied in terms of how your son died. They tried to cover it up. They tried to destroy evidence. And you know what? A big salute to everyone, Carl, all the others. The list goes on and on. And I'm sure if retaliating and uh, the intimidation... The intimidation was rough for me. I could imagine how it is for fellows like Carl and all the others that have to work and walk amongst these crooks. How scary could that be? How evil to be among them? And the fact that they get away with so much uh, undercover stuff. Uh, and they get away with it. To For these whistleblowers to take that step forward uh, that's that's the bravest that I can even I can't even imagine to live amongst that. But yet, and still, they still do it, and it's because of these few that do. If they would correct all that needs to be corrected, as far as fixing, uh, gutting up this evil organization from the top down and back up to the top, that's a start. Because there's a, there's a lot of people who would come for it. I have no doubt about that. They shouldn't have to be treated so. Because in the end, these are state-paid employees. They're, they're state-paid. They get state-paid through taxpayers' dollars. But the killings, is that state-condoned? Because there's so many. Carl, uh, again, you have been uh, quite outspoken. I'm sure you've talked privately with other law enforcement uh, officers, whether they black or white, uh, are they just simply too afraid uh, of saying something because they don't want to happen to them? What happened to you? Uh, that's exactly true. And uh, the fact that state police knows that and they understand that. Uh, the the last time I was on your show, I was just telling you that, you know, I don't know what's going to happen next, but I know state police is going to try to dirty my name and discredit me as, as much as they can. Well, um, they're doing a poor job at it, but they still had the authority. They still had the position to uh, to fire me because they can, you know, they can do it if they want to. It's not right, but they can do it if they want. And um, I believe I'll get my job back on the on the back end. I'll, I'll win everything on the back end. But their whole goal is to make an example out of me, to make an example out of me, so they wouldn't have anyone coming behind me 
to speak up and speak out about what's going on. Because I, I say all the time, what I'm doing should be a trend. It should be easy for officers to speak up and speak out, you know, but uh, it's, it's not like that. I think I think it's going to get like that in the future. I think uh, we'll run into some different times here, here in the future, especially um, if we could continue getting the support from the public like I've been receiving from, you know, random people around the country and uh, different countries as well. Um, but I, I think we'll get back to we'll get to a better place where you have more officers like myself speaking out. But right now, there's people speaking to me behind the scenes because they, they don't want that pressure for their family and they don't want to lose that paycheck that they have, you know? Uh, Mona, what do you want folks to do next? You know, what is next uh, in uh, this case? You know, it's sad to say, but for the fact that the state of Louisiana, they're, they're gathering around this governor, this, 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 this beloved governor, they gather around him. It's almost to where they, when they say they saw the video of my son being tortured, murdered by their troopers, it's like they might have been looking at it with fingers in their ears and their eyes closed. Because if they saw it the way it was for all to see, it's no way. It's no way that they could move forward I mean, I understand it's it's political. It's it's evil. It's nasty. It's but the thing is, the fact that all these 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 political figures, uh, in the almost three years, I've seen those, and it's very few uh, that that have stepped forward, and I've seen those that have no integrity whatsoever, and the fact that they'll still rally behind Edwards and support him, and even as well as uh, yesterday uh, and the day before, uh, step forward and continue to lie. It's, uh, but it's, it's not a lie that will go far because I'm not gonna let it. Mona Harden, Carl Cavalier, I appreciate both of you joining us on Roller Martin Unfiltered. I thank you. Michael, the thing about uh, th this case is, again, what do we always hear? Trust the police. You know what? They're doing their job. Things are not as, you know, as bad. I I'm sorry. These are Louisiana State Troopers. These right. are folks who are supposed to be above local law enforcement. They're the ones who are supposed to have more credibility. And so in the state of Louisiana, it's sort of like in Texas, you know, the Texas Rangers supposed to be, you know, the best of the best. Well, hell, <laughs> if they're sitting here uh, being racist, uh, covering things up, destroying evidence, who the hell are you supposed to trust? Um, it's, it's a number of different things, Roland. You just brought up the Texas Rangers. Texas, the Texas Rangers started out as body, body hunters in 1936 who were hired by slave owners in Texas to go into Mexico and capture runaway slaves well, yeah, the and bring them back to Texas. But the police okay. departments were born in America were born out of slave patrols. Well, I, I understand that. No, I'm but, just I'm just saying but, the basis of yeah. law enforcement in America was to round it's, up black people. This is part, part part of that, yeah. But when you talk about Texas specifically, that's yeah. how the Texas Rangers started. Okay. Uh, with this case here in Louisiana, and it's important to understand. <laughs> Louisiana is one of the poorest states in the country. They also have a prison called Angola Prison there in, in Louisiana as well. Um, you know, the, 
I'm looking for more answers. I'm glad you have this whistleblower, uh, Trooper Carl uh, Cavalier, who was just fired uh, January 31st, 2022. And, you know, one of the glaring things here in the case is that the cops who are involved in this cover-up still have their jobs, but he's the whistleblower. He's doing the right thing. He gets fired. So, uh, hope now this looks like a case. Well, first of all, I think the uh, 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 state police in Louisiana probably need to be investigated by the, uh, the Justice, Justice Department. Absolutely. Okay. Feds. The, the feds. And is do we know if there is... Uh, uh, have the feds started an investigation specifically into this case? Don't know. Matter of fact, I'll, okay. uh, I, I'll actually go reach out to this one to DOJ in a moment. Yeah. Okay. All right, thanks. Yeah, but this one... Um, you know, the, the the killing of uh, Ronald Green took place three years ago, and we're still we're still trying to get answers on this to find out and hold people accountable. So, uh, but this is a, this is another example of how elections have consequences. Governor John Bell Edwards is doing a song and dance, and um, you know, this is an example of how elections have consequences and why um, more of us who want to be the right type of officers, like uh, Trooper Cavalier, more of us have to apply to these departments and yep. run these white supremacists out of these departments. Uh, Matt, again, um, you're supposed to look to the best of the best. Hell, and, and when they're crooked, one of the fundamental problems in police departments is when they cover for one another. Exactly, which is precisely why I don't understand, in this case, the state department is still, the state police department is still investigating the case and investigating itself. I mean, there's been demonstrable evidence that there's been a number of people involved in the cover-up. So I don't know how, I don't know that he did this in his, his uh, press conference, and I may have missed this. I don't know how the governor doesn't immediately call for the FBI to come in and take over the entire investigation, both as it, both as it relates to Mr. Green's death and also as it relates to the cover-up thereof. The fact that they're still investigating it is absolutely absurd to me. And the fact that they decided to fire Mr. Cavalier when generally whistleblowing activity is an exception to an at-will state like Louisiana makes no sense to me. It's obvious that they're trying to just get him out. But I think Michael's point is spot on. How does he lose his job and these others keep theirs? I think the FBI needs to come in immediately, and hopefully your contact can shed some light on whether that's going to happen. Kelly? <clears throat> I mean, I echo the sentiments of everyone on the panel, but yet again, this is the second story in which we have a modern-day state-sponsored lynching. Um, and I won't go into all of the details, because I know we're pressed for time, but the fact of the matter is that they fired a whistleblower. And correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure we have, you know, nationwide protections against whistleblowers, uh, specifically when it comes to retaliation against whistleblowers. So the fact that they were so bold as to fire someone who was trying to do the right thing within their ranks just shows you just how much of a crook, such as uh, um, Green's mother just said, shows you just how much of a crook they are. Um, for those who haven't already, I would encourage you to go online um, to look at the timeline of this cover-up because it is extensive. It is extensive. And it, 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 is, it is just so disheartening and disgusting, the fact that people out there wearing the uniform with the intention or supposed intention to protect and serve simply aren't doing their jobs. They're doing 
basically what their ancestors did before they were called police. To the phone lines, uh, Otis folks are from New York. Otis, what's on your mind? Okay. Hello. Otis, you're on the air. What's on your mind? Yeah. Yes, uh, thank you for taking my call. Um, I'm uh, ex-law enforcement, and uh, I've been through some of the things that, you know, other law enforcement, black law enforcement have been through on the job. Um, I say, like Kaepernick, black law enforcement needs to take a knee. That's one thing. The other thing, qualified uh, um, immunity should never be granted to a no-knock warrant. If you feel that you can do a no-knock warrant, you shouldn't need qualified immunity. They use this qualified immunity in so many cases, and it shouldn't be. And until we start hitting them in the pocket, they're not going to do anything. They're not going to stop. And there's so many things that, you know, they're getting away with. You know, I hear people saying stuff like it's political. No, it's not political. It's a crime. Until we stop, start, until we start slapping liens, that might be through the common law on the courts, on the judges, on these agencies, because mm -hmm. you can't slap a lien on them. Well, well I, I think the point that you're making, first of all, Otis, thanks for your phone call. The people have been saying that, is that, long, that until police are personally liable, uh, they're going to continue their reckless behavior. Yes, definitely. And what I'm saying is what needs to be done is liens need to be slapped on those insurance companies that insure them for qualified immunity. Well, but, that, but, that's, but that's also why you have the argument that you also get rid of qualified immunity, which they don't want to get rid of because that is the protection. Uh, Otis, I appreciate, appreciate it. Thanks for your phone call. I appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Uh, let me go to uh, Ray Fomby. Ray Fomby is in Georgia. Hey, Ray, what's on your mind? Ray? Ray, are you there? Hello, Ray Fomby. Okay, Ray's not there. Uh, let's go to the DMV, Mike Bullock. Mike, what's on your mind? How you doing, Roland? Great. Uh, yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I've been a supporter since week one, uh, Bring the Funk of Your Show. You know, as we look at all these uh, examples, you know, the passion that you had in your um, monologue earlier about this, you know, I know you don't agree with this, but that's why I have said, and I'll say it again, that when Warnock and Booker voted for Rahm Emanuel to be the ambassador to Japan in the middle of the night, that was an act of treason towards the black community. How so? One, because Rahm Emanuel, being the mayor of Chicago, he was the he 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 spearheaded the cover up of that videotape. Yeah, of of of, 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 of a Kwame McDonald. Okay, exactly. He spearheaded that. But but how, but, 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 how that, but how is a vote for Rahm Emanuel to be an ambassador of Japan treason against Black America? Because 
Biden tried to nominate him for a secretary post, but he got a lot of backlash. No, actually, he, he, remember he, that no, 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 he didn't nominate him. Uh, there were reports that said that he was under consideration, but that wasn't the case. Right. But but but, but what I'm no, but, what I'm still saying is how how is it treason against black people? Because when when you look at all these examples, the 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 video, he was the centerpiece of the cover of cover of that. He shouldn't be serving. If he's serving anything, it should be a jail sentence. But here's the you question. Know, but here's the question. Would... But but there, okay. were, there were other Republicans and Democrats who also voted for him. Why are you singling those two out? They're, they're the only two. Well, even Tim Scott voted no. But they're the only two black uh, senators. That's okay. why I, I point them out. They could have they could have blocked it the same way Ron Paul maneuvers things to block things in the Senate. They could have done something. If they even if he would have gotten enough Republican votes, be a no on that. Okay. You know right. they get up on TV with their kinty cloth and saying that they care about black issues and do something like this. The last thing, are we still going to get the part two of uh, of Lane Dr. Lane Rowland? What part two? You well, got, you, that, that was you that was a part on, two when I had the doctors on the next day. No, he he said uh, he said that he was open to coming back. You know, when you mentioned that yeah, but there him, were doctors that yeah, but, but, agreed but, with but, him. But him coming back to say what? He's already said his the first time. What's there to come back for? Well, I I, I think it would be a uh, it would add to the discussion if and what he would be if he would be on with the doctors that disagree with him. I mean, that would be a healthy discussion, Roland. I think. Okay. I don't, but okay. I mean, he was on for the period of time, so he said he all had to say. So, well, you 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 seldom say that black people are not a monolithic. Well, black. No, actually, no, I don't seldom say that. I actually say it. So we had him on. He shared his perspective. We had other doctors share their perspective, and we're gonna have other doctors on share their perspective. There you go. I understand. Okay, I appreciate it, Mike. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right. Uh, last call. Uh, Trina Hodge is from D.C. Hey, Trina, how you doing? Roland, hey, Roland, how you doing, sir? Doing great. Great. I'm calling in because I'm a supporter. I think you're doing what you're doing is absolutely phenomenal, is needed, and well, I'll ask and encourage everyone who's listening, please support Roland Martin Unfiltered. It's necessary. Black Star Network all day. I also want to talk about voting. More specifically, it's important to vote, but I would also encourage those who are listening to consider becoming poll workers mm. because there's a big problem in a lot of urban cities, as we well know. We're coming out at about 18 percent uh, when we're voting. That means 82 percent of us are not participating in the process. So I would encourage people to up our ante on the process of voting, but also consider becoming poll workers. A lot of people aren't familiar with the whole process of voting, yep. and it is not really filling out your app, your your ballot and sticking it in the machine and then it's counted. It is a whole process afterwards of counting, verifying, and going onto the canvassing board and so on and so forth. I know this because I formerly worked with a department that was like that in an urban city. And one of our biggest problems was having adequate support. 
We need people to come out who have expertise. You'll get a training session, but there are a lot of seniors that have committed themselves. Seniors are the largest group of people that actually vote. We need the young people to come out and vote, but we also need young people to be a part of the process. And if you have the time and you want to be a part of this process and you really, truly want to understand what's going on with voting and how it really operates, please get involved. And one other thing I'd like to say, do as Dr. Carr said and continue to support Roland Martin Unfiltered. Put them coins together. Make this station one of the best that ever existed. All right. We well, appreciate it. Trina Hodges, thanks a lot. Bye. Thank you very much. You know, on that point there, mad about being poll workers. Look, my parents uh, both will be 75 this year, uh, and uh, they've worked the polls for a very long time, uh, even when we were growing up. And unfortunately, you know, we saw this during COVID uh, that a lot of our poll workers are in their 60s, 70s, and 80s, uh, and we do need uh, younger folks uh, and others. They've got my sister and her daughter. Uh, so yes, there's three generations of our family, uh, you know, working the polls. I mean, that is a part of civic responsibility. I think Sister Trina is right. I think it is a part of civic responsibility. Thank you to your family for doing that. And I encourage everyone else, you know, who has the capacity and the time to do that, particularly here in the state of Texas, as we know that some of the laws that have been passed have been around the activity that happens at the polls. So we need people to be fastidious about making sure there's not crazy things going on at the polls. We know there will be, but we want to make sure that people we trust and people that um, are really committed to good civic engagement will be at the polls. So if you have the capacity and the means, please do that. And Kelly, we also got to understand uh, with these rules being changed, how they're also trying to target poll workers. You know what? Well, if, if they're going to say that polling observers can be uh, more aggressive in doing so, we need more black folks to be poll observers. Absolutely. Um, I, I actually wrote down, you know, figure out how to do that in D.C. so I can make sure that um, come this election cycle, I, I will be able to... Um, do my part and and do that. Um, but the caller was absolutely right. And it goes back to my point about why your vote is so important. If it wasn't so important, they wouldn't be working this hard to take it away. You just broke the news about North Carolina overturning the gerrymandering. There's a reason for that. There's a reason why there are so many laws on the books within the past year and a half that have been so restrictive in their language against voting specifically people of colors, even more specifically, black people voting. So if it wasn't so important, they wouldn't be fighting this hard to keep us out of the electoral process and the political process of this country. So please keep that in mind when you talk about registering to vote and renewing your registration to vote and making sure that everything is updated. Go to your uh, local Board of Elections website. Make sure everything is, you know, right and tight, P's and Q's, uh, T's crossed, I's dotted, because we cannot afford to lose any more of our rights if we are still going to be considered citizens in this country. And, Michael, look, midterm elections are taking place uh, in November. Uh, uh, primaries are coming up soon. We better be real vigilant because people are going to be targeting black precincts. Absolutely. They're going to be targeting uh, black precincts. They're going to be targeting Latino precincts. We, we have to understand, there have been, in, in about 2019, there were 1,700 fewer polling places. And this is a direct result of Shelby County versus Holder 2013 U.S. Supreme Court case that gutted Section 4 of the Voting Rights Act. So, yes, we need to become poll workers and 
becoming a poll, see, voting is just one part of the political process. Becoming a poll worker, being on the uh, uh, voting boards, the county voting boards, things like this. The Republicans push that much more so than Democrats do. And, Republic, and, and, and what's taking place right now with Steve Bannon encouraging people to um, uh, get on uh, school boards and encouraging people to—you have Republicans encouraging people to be poll workers and things like this, they're getting entrenched to steal elections in 2022. So we have to be smarter than this and, and beat them at their own game. And, uh, I mean, this is uh, this this is life or death, this 2022 uh, midterm election. And, and let me just uh, wrap up with this. This is the first midterm election since an insurrection has happened since 1866. That was the year after the Civil War ended. So this is crucial. Indeed. All right, folks, got to go to a break. We come back. Uh, we're going to type talk to continue the fight against cancer. We'll talk to Dr. Hadai Nicole Green uh, next. Uh, we'll take more of your phone calls, folks. Uh, give us a shout. Uh, again, uh, if you're a Bring the Funk fan club member, you get to call in and weigh in with your thoughts. Pull the phone number up, please. It is 202-890-1199, 202-890-1199. And we'll take your phone calls after our next segment. And guess what? Y'all going to have 60 seconds each so we can get to many as you as possible. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. Black women are deeper in student loan debt than anyone else. I wanted to be the next Connie Chung. Nothing was going to get in my way. What was placed in front of me was a promissory note that said that, hey, if you sign this document, you can be able to achieve your dream. Not really understanding the full foresight of what I was going to be experiencing right after college. Learn how you can turn it around and get wealthy in the process. Right here on Black Star Network with me, Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach, host of Get Wealthy. chair take your seat the black tape with me dr greg carr here on the black star network every week we'll take a deeper dive into the world we're living in join the conversation only on the black star network
this is Essence Atkins. Hey, I'm Dion Cole from Blackish. Hey, everybody, this is your man Fred Hammond, and you're watching Roland Martin, my man, Unfiltered. All right, folks, uh, today is World Cancer Day, a global initiative to educate and raise awareness about the disease and reduce preventable deaths. According to the World Health Organization, in 2020, cancer accounts for 10 million deaths worldwide. President Joe Biden uh, reinvigorated his uh, moonshot proposal when it comes to uh, cutting cancer deaths in half. And so joining us right now is Dr. Hadaya Nicole Green. That's what I said. I'm glad you ain't got that big old ass Delta pin you had on the other night. My Lord, y'all, she had a, you know, she had a billboard on. Before we go there, I just want to take a moment to thank you and For tell what? you a couple of things. What you want? Because... When you had me on in 2015, when I first got the VA grant for a million dollars for my research, that launched my career. And after that, the awards came rolling in from Ebony Power 100, the Route 100, to uh, USA Today, naming me as one of the 100 most inspiring women of the century, along with Eleanor Roosevelt and Rosa Parks. And I know you're, you weren't in the lab with me, but you using your platform, your show at that time, to elevate the work that I'm doing made a huge difference because scientists like me are usually hidden figures. And because of you, I am not a hidden figure. And I just want to publicly say thank you. And I know we have our friendship and we laugh and joke, but I didn't take that opportunity last time I was on. And I just want to say that this time. I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you always looking out for me and having my back and, and, and making sure that, you know, we, we keep our friendship intact. So I just want to publicly say thank you for your support, encouragement, and for using your platform to elevate the work that I'm doing. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, it's always, of course, important for us to use our platforms to do so. And I'm sure one day uh, at your wedding, you, I'll be saying congratulations to FarmersOnly.com. Uh, y'all, it's an inside joke. You know, I, you know, I had to go ahead and crack on you on that one. So, y'all, well, yeah, we, all, we always joke. I'm trying to be nice. Oh, no, come on now. You know I was going to bring up the FarmersOnly.com. Don't even try. You know no. this. So, let me say for the inside joke, if you want to help a sister out... <laughs> y'all, she, uh, yo, without, she actually she was talking about how I was struggling dating, and she's like, I'm just a country girl. I was like, yo, farmersonly.com, hook a country girl up. You finished? Are you done? Are you done? <laughs> oh, you know I had to mess with you. All right. We're trying to talk about saving cancer patients. <laughs> <laughs> I am single, but my personal life is my personal life. <laughs> Anybody interested, this call a, Roland and get This is a full-service show. <laughs> it's a full-service show. Y'all call me. I'm going to run a background check. Just let y'all know. Good. I know people. <laughs> Go ahead. All right. Let's talk about uh, President Biden this week, uh, you know, yes. uh, brought back his moonshot uh, cancer idea. Your thoughts about that? Okay. So I think the Cancer Moonshot Initiative is amazing. If we can put a man on the moon, surely we should be able to cure cancer. Having 9, 10 million, a pe million people a year die from cancer worldwide, when we have the best technology, we have the most state-of-the-art equipment, we are at the forefront of everything from cars to cell phones, why shouldn't we cure cancer? So I think the Moonshot Initiative 
is is noteworthy. My caution, my reservation, my lack of enthusiasm exists. And I, I would retract the word caution and say my lack of enthusiasm exists because the first time when the moonshot was launched, I was so excited thinking, okay, when President Nixon in 1942 declared the war on cancer and started the National Cancer Institute, they had the same moonshot. They just didn't call it the Cancer Moonshot Initiative. So when President Obama put President now President Biden in the position to oversee eradicating cancer, and it's not, I can't say, I'm not pointing fingers or blaming anything, but we already had a National Cancer Institute. And the same experts that have been using chemotherapy and radiation as the standard of care, those same experts were hired and solicited to bring forth this Cancer Moonshot Initiative. Well, they added immunotherapy, but it's still the same inside-the-box thinking that still causes nearly 9 million people a year to die from cancer because that technology, that approach is limited. And I'm not saying it doesn't work for some cancers because it's very effective for early stage cancers, which is why early detection is important. It can save your life. If you get diagnosed with stage one, stage two, breast or prostate cancer, Current the current treatments that are available, you can go on to live another 20 or 30 years and die from something else. My vision, what I would like to see with the new cancer moonshot is diversity in the type of people who are on the panel, the type of people who determine what they will fund, the type of people who get funded. Because it was very, it was, there, there was a serious lack of diversity the last time the moonship, the moonshot was launched. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't representation from HBCUs almost at all, or the African-American community. There was very little diversity at all. But the, to take the same people, and not that the people at the National Cancer Institute aren't doing the best they know, but if you use the same box to address the same problem, you're going to get the same outcome. So unless they bring in fresh thought, fresh ideas that's outside of what we've already been doing, we're going to get the same outcome. And I've been, since your show, I've been fundraising through my nonprofit, the Lee Smith Cancer Research Foundation, to help offset the disparities that African-American scientists faced in getting research funded. It's not just me. It's, a, it's literally a national problem that was brought out in the forefront during the Black Lives Matter movement by the head of the National Institutes of Health. There is a documented disparity in the funding of African-American scientists. So the moonshot should be able to address that, especially for the technology I've developed that has already demonstrated complete elimination of human cancer after one treatment over the course of 15 days with no observable side effects, no chemotherapy, no radiation, and no surgery. So we have already developed technology and we're moving into clinical trials with limited funding when there are people who have technology or treatments that aren't as effective that get funding. There is a huge disparity in funding. So I like you starting your own show. I started my own nonprofit so that I can allow people who feel as passionately about curing cancer as I do to fund my research without having to wait on everybody else to do something that we literally could do. How much? So your, your, your goal is what, 30 million? 
Yes. And where are you now? Sadly, Roland, I'm at two million. And that's a good thing and a bad thing. Because there have only been, before the Black Lives Matter movement, there were only 12 other African-American tech startup founders that raised $2 million or more. So I made history getting to this $2 million point, but it's still sad because we can't get started. It's not enough to start. And people always think, oh, I thought the celebrities were going to donate. I thought you would get government funding. And what about grants? And what about this? And the frustration is the people who get diagnosed with cancer, they come, can you help me? Can you take me in the back of the lab? We don't have the money to do an official, legitimate clinical trial. Mm -hmm. So it's not that people don't know about what I'm doing. People assume that other people are going to fund me and they don't take the time to go to auralead.org and simply donate and become a monthly donor. And explain to people, explain to people uh, as best that you can in layman's terms, your research and what it has been able to accomplish. And then I'm going to go to questions from Michael Kelly uh, and Matt. Go. Okay. So my research in layman's terms is I'm zapping cancer. I'm using some new technology that causes us to be able to heat up that local area with lasers and extremely T9C tiny particles that allow us to provide a local killing of cancer at the site of the tumor. After one treatment, we've demonstrated, published in peer-reviewed journal, been funded by the Department of Veteran Affairs, we can kill cancer, human cancer, in mice. How'd I do, Roland? There you go. You didn't use that nano, whatever the hell you did the Stop first... Stop hating on nanoparticles, Roland. Yeah, man, she came on the show like, well, you have these nanoparticles. I said, girl, just say small. Just say tiny. You like, you're a very intelligent man. You can learn a new word. Mm -mm, boo. I, I don't, this ain't, see, you, see, you, see, I'm, I, I don't keep teaching you. You don't know. I'm gonna keep teaching you. Like Joe Madison say, put it where the goats can get it. Okay. Put it where the goats can get it. All right. Uh, Kelly, your question first. Um, first of all, thank you for coming on the show. This has been very enlightening. And I feel like I've seen your work um, pop up on my feed several times. So I'm just, you know, excited to see what's going to happen with this. But my main question is, what do you think is taking so long in terms of government support, in terms of even private sector support? Is this a big pharma issue? Is this, you know, more political than anything or more racial than anything, given that a Black woman is, is heading this up? What do you think is the disconnect between you getting the funding you need and, frankly, us getting a cure for cancer? So I think um, that's an excellent question. Thank you for that. Uh, it's a great question, but it's difficult for me to answer. But I'll give you what mm -hmm. people have said to me. People have literally said to me, if I were a white man, I would have had more funding than I knew what to do with. Mm -hmm. um, I've had people tell me, all kinds of horrible things from um, it's because I wear my hair natural or because I have a country accent or because I went to an HBCU and not an Ivy League school and because I'm not sexually active. If I were putting out, I would have the money already. And it, Just the horrendous things that across the spectrum people have said to me that may have some truth to them. 
Um, the other aspect, when I started my nonprofit, I wanted to be able to circumvent all the foolishness and shenanigans and shift the power dynamic, usher in something independent of what everybody else could control and something that I can maintain control of. So with my nonprofit, it allows people who also share this belief that we can cure cancer if we can have satellites in outer space tell whether a dime on the ground is face up or face down and your watch can make a phone call now. Why can't we cure cancer? Why, why not? Like, what are we doing here? So when people support my nonprofit, we're not just supporting the idea of the hope of one day curing cancer. I've already developed the technology and the funding that we're raising goes directly towards paying the cost of beginning and conducting human clinical trials. It's, it's a tangible alternative to the other big cancer charities that exist. So when I put my nonprofit out as an avenue, an opportunity for people to support actual research boots on the ground, you see me as the principal investigator, as the inventor, as the scientist from St. Louis, I'm us, right? So when people see me, they don't care that I have three degrees in physics, that I graduated with the 4.0 grade point average as a physics major. They don't care that I interned at NASA. They don't care that I interned at University of Rochester. They don't care that I calibrated lasers for the International Space Station. They don't care that I trained for five years at the Comprehensive Cancer Center. They don't care that I trained for a year in the Department of Pathology. They don't care about any of my credentials. They just look at me and say, no, you couldn't have done that. You don't even look old enough to have done that. Um, you don't have enough gray hair. Your voice isn't deep enough. You need to have a male spokesperson to help you get this done. Um, show more cleavage. That'll help. I've, I've had all kinds of things, but when people have the opportunity to level the playing field, I'm still, in our own community, I'm still met with skepticism of people saying, no, that's not true. You didn't do what you did. Like, you don't know, you don't know my life. Uh, Google me. Not trying to be arrogant at all, but people take one glance at me. And this is, I'm the epitome of people judging the book by its cover. And they declare, no, that's not true. And I know there's a lot of mistrust in the medical community. A lot of people um, have residual emotions about being taken advantage of in the past. So it's, it's, I personally don't have any scandals or anything in my record that would cause someone to be skeptical. But sometimes it's, it's just pure ignorance because we in our community don't usually see someone who looks like us who has the same education as Albert Einstein. I'm literally one of the first African-American women in the country to earn a PhD in physics. So people look at me and don't even know what to do with me. And when I, and I appreciate Roland trying to help me help people see that I'm relatable, that I'm a human. And I didn't ask for this calling, this assignment in life. It came, but when people see what I'm doing, they immediately go to what they think is or is not possible and they put those limitations or they assume somebody else is going to support instead of them chipping in $10 a month, $100 a month, 
and, and helping because every dollar counts. When I was on Roland Martin in 2016, we put the call to action out and he posted that interview on his, on his Facebook and it had more than 14 million views. I'm not saying that to brag, but if every person who saw that and made comments and suggested that I ask Oprah and Tyler Perry, if I had $1 for everybody who saw that video and, and took time to write in and make suggestions, I would have had the money to do at least the first five or 10 patients in humans. So people think my little bit isn't enough. You need 10 million, you need 30 million. My $1 won't count. But the reality is there have been millions of people seeing, liking and sharing the memes about me being the first black woman to cure cancer or the first person to cure cancer. People have seen the memes, but they're not understanding. I simply can't do this by myself. I need help. Michael. All right. Um, thanks, Dr. Uh, Hadiyah. Uh, thanks for coming on. Um, that my question was, what are other, in addition to supporting you uh, financially at orally.org, what are yes. other ways that you need support? Do you need more media coverage? Do you need yes. us to contact members of the Congressional Black Caucus? What yes. are other, I, people need yes. to donate. <laughs> Because right. it, it takes money to do all this, but what are other ways? She said other all the above. All of the above. Mm -hmm. I need help with marketing. I need help with fundraising. I need help with making phone calls. We have a volunteer team. People can sign up at oralee.org/volunteer, and everything from literally A to Z, helping us create posts for social media, donating your birthday on Facebook, changing your Amazon to support a charity, and you can select the Aura Lee Smith Cancer Research Foundation as your charity of choice. When you shop, Amazon doesn't charge you any, but they will donate. We have workplace employee matching programs everywhere from Boeing to um, Delta Airlines and, and, and IBM and Microsoft. So the spectrum of employee giving programs are available. If they're not at your job, you can ask, and it's an easy process to set it up. Uh, we also are an official 501c3 nonprofit, so people can name us in their wills and their life insurance policies. They can um, gift us property, houses, cars, anything you can write off on your taxes. We are able to accept those type of gifts. And there are things where a personal introduction to some of the family offices, the trust, the, the home offices that where high potential high-dollar donors keep their money and having people manage those funds, having personal introductions to open those doors. People assume I have this network. I spent seven years in the lab developing the technology. And Roland was one of the only people who would invite me to events where there are people there who could support. But I don't, I'm, I'm a tech nerd. I, I was also Miss Alabama a University. I don't have a problem speaking to people, but having that exposure, having those introductions, having that opportunity to even introduce the Aura Lee Smith Cancer Research Foundation and having people know that this is an option for their charity of choice. And just to put a, a pin in this one point, people don't realize that Susan G. Komen and American Cancer Society combined raise over a billion dollars a year in charitable donations and sponsorships. 
a billion dollars a year. And for five years, I've been struggling to raise 10 and $30 million. Hold up, you said Susan G. Komen and what's the other one? American Cancer Society. Got it. And mostly up to today, all of our black Greek letter organizations in the D9 have been supporting these other major charities. And I've been meeting with them. They have agreed that they want to support. So if anyone who is an earshot away from leadership in your Divine Now organization, please call and encourage them to support the Oralee Smith Cancer Research Foundation, even with the support of the Divine Nine, with the support of our, our African-American professional organizations, from NSBE to the, uh, the Black MBAs, like all, all of the above, the Black golfers, the Black skiers, we could fund this in our community. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Matt. So first, Dr. Green, uh, let me say, you know, Roland went to school way out there with the pigs and the cows and the horses, so I'm sure he knows a lot of country brothers. And if I, he hasn't introduced you, And I know a whole bunch... Now, remember, now remember <laughs> I went to Texas A&M, so I, it's a whole bunch of country white guys. Uh, so I'm familiar with FarmersOnly.com, so just letting you know, because you're right, Texas A&M, uh, they know about livestock and agriculture. So I, I know a couple of country brothers. But I, I, but see, I, I, I don't do that, uh, that hookup stuff, because if it don't work out, then they mad at me. So I don't even do that. So I just like, hey, yo, what up? I, you know, I, I don't introduce people, because I ain't having her cuss me out later. Like, Roland, why you introduce me? Uh-uh, see? Have you ever heard me cuss Roland? Huh? Nope. Have you if ever I heard introduce me you to the wrong brother, you're going to cuss me out. Matt, ask hey. your question. <laughs> Can't be I'm worse. sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't resist, because I, I know where you went to school, way out in the boonies. Here's a question I have for you, uh, Dr. Green. What have you found are, are disparities or, or issues with access for our community to cancer treatment, cancer in general, and what have you found is uh, a successful way to make people understand how important your work is because you have literally cured cancer. So it makes no sense that you aren't having people just give you boatloads of money. So what have you found in our communities particularly are the disparities in terms of our access and also in terms of our uh, willingness to give? Uh, so, great question. So, I'll start with the disparities to, to access and outcomes. For example, African-American women are more likely to get diagnosed with breast cancer and, sadly, more likely to die from it. Same with African-American men are more likely to be diagnosed with prostate cancer and are more likely to die from it than our Caucasian counterparts. One of the things that I realized after news about my work started going viral is that members of our community feel very comfortable and safe coming to me, but they usually are in a position where they are desperate. They've been sent home and told there's nothing else we can do. Part of the problem is we're not getting screened early enough. We're not exercising, keeping our diets. We're not being health conscious, we are unaware of the number of carcinogens in fast food and the products that we use trying to be cute. We're not aware of how unhealthy some cleaning products are, how unhealthy our air is. Most people don't use an air purifier, even though they should. So there are a lot of things that we are doing, our grandmama's recipes that we inherited that's part of our, our love language. I, I do think food is the sixth love language, this side note. 
Um, and I think that how we eat matters. And there is this thought process of eat to live. And a lot of people are doing the plant-based diets. And there's a lot of data behind how eating more colorful fruits and vegetables can help your body naturally fight off cancer. So starting with our diet to our levels of stress, stress has been scientifically documented to make cancer grow faster. So when you're dealing with people who are dealing with racism, dealing with higher levels of stress, um, all kinds of family drama, work drama, life drama, traffic drama, just drama on top of drama, and, and we're in the middle of a pandemic. So that's also stress. So when you know stress is making your health worse, and causing cancer to grow faster, and you're not getting the checkups, and you're not exercising, which also helps with stress, which also helps with cancer prevention, but you're not doing those things because you're too busy, and you're working two jobs, and all of these things, right? So our socioeconomic status puts us at a disadvantage. They can even document by zip code that in certain neighborhoods, your likelihood of surviving cancer drops drastically. So when we're looking at doctors having documentation that they think African-Americans have a higher tolerance for pain than everybody else. We don't, but the average doctor thinks that. So one of the biggest ways to address health disparities is for us to find doctors who look like us. There's a documentation that um, African-American mothers have less death left mortality when they go to an African-American OBGYN. So I'm not going to lay out any conspiracy theories. I don't believe in that. I try to give you guys fact-based information. The data shows that African-Americans have a better outcome over many health issues if you go to a doctor who looks like you. So that's one of the most tangible ways in all of the other diet exercise to improve our health disparities when it comes to cancer and all health conditions. Um, I think the, the side part of that, people really aren't dying from stage one, stage two cancer, because that's very treatable with the current methods for treating cancer. Where we fall short is that we're not getting our regular checkups. We're not getting our mammograms at 40. We're not getting our prostate cancer exams at 40. We're, we should be getting them earlier because we saw with Chadwick Bozeman, we don't need to wait until 50 to get screened for colon cancer. We don't need to wait until we're 50 and 55. For most of us, that's too late. So getting those screenings, those early, the, the early detection will save us. It help increase, improve our health disparities. So what happens, though, most of us are so busy, we don't notice the car is not working until the wheel falls off. So by the time we go to the doctor and get diagnosed with cancer, we're stage three, stage four, and the current treatments don't work. So that brings me to when you ask what's interfering with our willingness to give. So there's a lot. We don't think ahead. We don't think about how can I help if cancer runs in my family or I know I'm not leading a certain lifestyle or I like cigarettes or cigars and I'm doing things that could put me at a high risk for any type of cancer. I'm eating a lot of red meat, whatever it is. Uh, and, and most people don't realize that genetic cancers are only responsible for about 15% of cancer cases. 
So all other cancer is preventable. Now, why people wait until, you know, the last minute to think about things, most people in the African-American community don't have life insurance. We should, that would help us improve our wealth generationally, but we don't set our families up to succeed. And most of us won't go to the doctor to get our annual checkup to save our lives when we know early detection can save your life. So when you ask, why aren't people in our community donating when they are aware of what I've done? Because they don't come to me until they need me. And when they need me, it's too late. And I haven't had the money to do what I need to to go through the FDA to make a legitimate clinical trial. Well, look, uh, Oralee.org, O-R-A-L-E-E.org. Um, and so I, I, I'm sitting here, I'm looking, looking on the website, uh, folks. This is the donate page. Y'all can actually uh, go to that uh, and check that out uh, and, and to donate. Uh, you, and so I have, I have some uh, other thoughts about donate. I'll, I'm, I'm going to call you when the show's over because, uh, okay. uh, I mean, it's like we got to make it easier for folks to donate. Um, and I did... I did send uh, a text to uh, three billionaires uh, about your research. Uh, Thank as you, you As you were talking, so thank you. Uh, one um, one of them has already responded, so we'll see if the other two respond. So, folks, uh, as she said, though, it's not thank always you. about uh, the folks with big money. Again, every dollar counts, uh, and so everybody who's sitting here uh, can. Uh, and then now on your site. Uh, of course, you got 50, 100, 250 other, but you can put in any amount, of course, uh, yes. in here. Suppose y'all can do one time. Hey, come on, come on, thank you. Y'all can do one time, y'all can do monthly, you can do annually uh, right here uh, by donating. And so uh, if I look, the, go ahead. And the attribute your support to, you can skip that. Some people want to donate under a specific group, but you don't have to. You can skip this that. And everything else should be straightforward. So there are so uh let me shout out mike v i see you on youtube he just dropped 250 dollars uh, on Thank your you. page uh so there are 1500 of you who are watching live right now on the youtube channel uh and then uh if i i don't know how many on facebook facebook actually has been th- uh, throttling our numbers down they've been screwing us over uh we got 1.3 million followers on facebook but they've been uh only letting about 300 folks watch so there's 131 of y'all on facebook i told they're screwing us Plus, people yeah. with the Black Network app. So here's the deal. Uh, folks, uh, if you're watching, I don't care if you give a dollar. I don't right. care if you give a dollar. Every dollar counts. I tell you all that about supporting this show. Every yeah. dollar counts. Uh, so please, uh, if, you, if you, you, you should do that. Um, what, I, what I'm going to do is, uh, what I'm going to do is, you know, I'll, so I'll do this here. So, I, you know, let me just do this here. So there are, so let's see here. There are, so 1,500 of you are on YouTube right now, and then um, 130 on Facebook. There are several hundred of you who are on the Black Star Network app. Uh, And so uh, y'all have 24 hours to give, and so what I'll do is uh, I'll match up to 5,000 of our fan base who gives. And so... uh, uh, Doc, you got 20, you, 24 hours. You got to tell me uh, how many oh, people. Uh, thank you. But, so it's 817. So from we came on by 8 o'clock. So 8 o'clock, I'm going to hit you at 8.01 p.m. tomorrow. Okay. Uh, and I want to know, I wanna know how, how much you got 
Okay. Uh, so how much you got in the last 24 hours, okay? Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank I, you, Roland. I appreciate it. Thanks a bunch. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you so very much, folks. Uh, I've got uh, Education Matters coming up next. Uh, let me thank uh, Matt, Michael, uh, Matt, Michael, and Kelly as well. I don't want to hold y'all over uh, because uh, I do, do want to get to this segment. I am going to take phone calls as well. I appreciate all three of y'all being on the show, joining the panel. Uh, great conversation uh, today. Uh, and so uh, I will say, actually, I won't see y'all next week because next Friday I'll be flying to Liberia. Uh, so I probably won't see y'all till the last Friday in February. And so, because uh, I'll be gone the next two Fridays, because I'll be in Liberia uh, covering the 200th Bicentennial. So I appreciate all three of y'all for being on the show. Let me go to a break. I'll be back with Education Matters and taking your phone calls right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Pastor Jackie Hood Martin, and I have a question for you. Ever feel as if your life is teetering and the weight and pressure of the world is consistently on your shoulders? Well, let me tell you, living a balanced life isn't easy. Join me each Tuesday on Black Star Network for a balanced life with Dr. Jackie. We'll laugh together, cry together, pull ourselves together, and cheer each other on. So join me for new shows each Tuesday on Black Star Network, a balanced life with Dr. Jackie. Hey, I'm Cupid, the maker of the Cupid Shuffle and the Wham Dance. What's going on? This is Tobias Trevelyan. And if you're ready, you are listening to and you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. schools uh, are an increasing option for a lot of people. Dr. Aize Sabeda is a co-founder of the Black Montessori Education Fund, and we're seeing uh, this take place. Uh, my brother uh, and his wife had uh, their children in a Montessori school. Doc, how you doing? Hey, brother, I'm even more blessed to be with you. I'm rolling with rolling. Indeed, indeed. So uh, what is it about Montessori schools? We, we, we hear that phrase, that name, Montessori schools. What the heck is a Montessori school? No, that is a great question. And, you know, I, you know, I thank God to be here to just talk a little bit about this, you know, because one, we need to realize that within public education writ large, there's a huge problem 
our babies are suffering in traditional public education. Locally, I'm here, you know, in the DMV, DC, Maryland, Virginia area, and I literally just saw a report talking about uh, Baltimore High School, Patterson High School, 480 high school students were assessed on reading, and the majority of them were reading on an elementary uh, level. In fact, 43% of them were reading on the K-12, I mean, excuse me, kindergarten to second grade level. And the picture is like that also on a national level, where according to NAEP, the National Assessment of Educational Progress, it's called the uh, Nation's Report Card, it demonstrated that eighth grade black students on, on average, the majority of them are reading at a below basic reading level. And so what we need is a, and that was a 2019 report before the pandemic. So our babies are suffering in traditional education. So we need something innovative, something new. Montessori education has been around for over a hundred years. And a simple way to understand Montessori education, it's common sense education. It is a developmental learning system that follows the natural human development of the whole child. And so it particularly is focusing upon helping to improve a child's independence, improve a child's self-initiative, -initi improve a child's high um, executive functioning. And it has demonstrated to produce some astounding leaders around the world. However, um, poverty, or not poverty, but wealth or lack of access has often kept Montessori education away for, from black children. And so when you talk about the, the wholeness of the child, um, you know, you know is, it the, is it that they don't focus on memorizing, taking a test? Is that the key? So Montessori education, when I say whole child, I mean, I've been in Montessori environments. They have activities that are helping to boost their smelling ability, kinesthetic learning. They have things that focus on their, definitely their academic Dr. Montessori, who is a, you know, Italian, the first Italian physician coming out of Italy, she actually even talks of developing the child spiritually. So not only social, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, kinesthetically, so holistic education that really, again, puts the child in the driver's seat of their educational process. All right. So how many of these schools are there in the country? How many are run by, run by African-Americans? So I'm not sure if I can give you a number exactly for the number of schools in the United States. I work with the Association of Montessori International, AMI USA, and we have over two, about 200 schools who are members of our association. But I would you know, dare say there are thousands of Montessori schools around the country. However, there aren't as many uh, black Montessori schools. And so that's what the whole effort of the Black Montessori Education Fund is to go ahead and help to increase the number of black adults who are uh, Montessori teachers, to increase the number of black Montessori schools, to increase the number of our babies who are able to be afforded this high quality, um, high powered, holistic educational process. And in fact, to your point, the increase in Montessori education in the public sector, there's been a huge surge. You know, here I'm in D.C., there are a number of 
Montessori public charter schools or other public, you know, sector Montessori schools. And so there has been a huge increase in the number of BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, people of color, Montessorian children. However, there aren't that many uh, Black uh, Montessori teachers. So they don't have so many teachers that look like them. And we are trying with the Black Montessori Education Fund to have more Black Montessori teachers, more Black Montessori schools, more Black children in Montessori environments. All right, then. How can people um, get more information to reach out to you or the fund? Yeah, they can check us out at the Black Montessori Education Fund.org. That's Black Education. Black Montessori Education Fund.org. And what I also want to say, Brother Roland, is for this year, my organization, AMI USA, is actually doing, I'm wearing my Marcus Garvey shirt here. Uh, we are actually encouraging 200 of our Montessori member schools to sign a petition to have the Honorable Marcus Garvey exonerated um, by President Biden uh, because he was unjustly imprisoned, you know, almost 100 years ago. And so, again, engaging our children in holistic education to transform education before our eyes. All right, then. Uh, certainly appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Keep up the great work, brother. Yes, sir. You the same. All right, folks. Let's get to the phone calls. Linda Williams calling from Sacramento, California. Hey, Linda. Uh, so here's what I'm going to do. Each caller, y'all got 60 seconds. I'm putting you on the clock because there's about 20 of y'all waiting, and I want to get y'all phone calls in. Uh, and so uh, let me go ahead. I'm going to hit the stopwatch and get everybody going. Linda, go. Yeah, hey, Roland. Um, the whitewashing of black America on every level in society. That's what I call it. We are the only minority group going into 2050 that will always fight back against white supremacy and racial and social injustice. So the white power structure knows that. So they are going to make sure that they whitewash Black America by any means necessary, by murdering us legally, that's police violence, by continually putting guns in our community. And I think 45 did a good job of that. The deflection, critical race theory, council culture, and keeping black labor silenced, professional sports and entertainment by paying them to be quiet. And lastly, Roland, my cousin, Reverend Albert Lucas, um, of Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church, was the mentor of Congresswoman Barbara Jordan. Third grade Marshall said one of his proudest moments was a landmark case, Smith versus Allwright, 1321, All right, you're going over your time. 1944, authorizing voting rights for all primaries across the South. Okay. That's exactly is what is happening with the white Washington of voting rights. Thank you. Got it. Linda, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot uh, for you're calling. Welcome. Linda, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot for calling in, okay? Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, my next call follow Kevin Vaughn, Kennesaw, Georgia. All right, Kevin, I'm, I'm going to hold each one of y'all to 60 yeah. seconds. Kevin, go. Oh, thank you so much, Roland. First of all, thank you so much, man, for all you do, man. You're a brilliant brother. Your staff is awesome. I want to thank you for the education and the knowledge you've been putting out. But I want to just encourage everybody to con continue to read, research, and pay attention. That comes from my pastor, uh, Roland, so I'm excited about that, man. So thank you so much for all you do, man. Brilliant system. Congratulations on the Black Star Network and everything else you're doing around the country and around the globe. Safe travels, man, when you move across the land. 
and keep doing what you do, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Thanks a lot, uh, Kevin. Be sure to call again. Let's go to Dallas, Texas. Marcus Goodner. Marcus, uh, you're on the clock. How you doing? Uh, uh, Roland, how you doing? Sir? Doing great. Colin, um, uh, um, in, on March the 1st, we vote um, in District 30 US, uh, for the U.S. Congress. Uh, in fact, your, your, your Democratic, your Democratic, your Texas primaries are on March 30th. That's what you mean? Right. Yes, go ahead. Right, and so um, they're voting to um, replace Ed Benice Johnson. And so I'm calling on behalf of um, a friend of mine, Dr. Um, Keisha Williams Langford. And um, I just wanted, you know, I, I, I would like to, well, I want to know if it was possible if you could bring on a show to interview her um, concerning her, you know. Uh, possible. You know, I'm, look I'm looking at it as a whole bunch of candidates who are running. So if you have one on, you got to have all of them on. Uh, but, I'm, but, I'm, but I'm looking at that uh, right now, okay? Okay. All right. I appreciate it, Marcus. Right. Uh, thanks okay. a bunch. Be sure to okay, call thanks, again. Sir. Thank you, sir. Uh, let's go to uh, Kenneth Ramsey, Sumter, South Carolina. Hey, Kenneth, you're on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. You're on the clock. Hey, Roland, boy, you are the you are the, the uh, uh, awesome guy. You know, Lord, you you tell it like it is. Like you, you, you are um um um. The black people for the for the people. Lord, thank you. Thank for the uh, listen to you. Yeah, you you are the Martin Luther King of um of this time. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate that, uh, Kenneth Ramsey. Uh, thanks for your support for being a member of the Bring the Funk fan club, and uh, be sure to uh, call again. Uh, Lewis Lyon calling from Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, Lewis, you're on. <laughs> Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. You're on the clock. Go. Hi, how you doing? Oh, whoa. Doing um, great. Last name Lane, but okay. Um, I just wanted to sit there and say I've been a fan of yours since 2012. I wanted to get deeper into uh, the stories, but I'm on the clock. Just wanted to sit there and say thank you for having this show. I've been a fan since then, and I'm going to continue to be a fan. From here on out, and also the uh, social media network, melanatedpeople.net. Melanatedpeople.net. Okay. All right. We'll check it out. We'll check right, it. Right, we'll check. We'll check it out. All right, Lewis. Thanks a bunch, and we appreciate you being a supporter of the show. Uh, all right, be sure to call back again. Let's go to Peoria, Arizona. Peoria, Arizona. Robin Thangs. Hey, Robin. Hey, Roro. How hey, you doing? Hey, Roro. How you doing? Doing great. Good. Good. Thank you for everything that you do. I love you, Roland. Appreciate I it. Love you. Absolutely. And um, you know, I'm new to here to Arizona. I've lived like in California. Colorado, Utah, but in, in in the summertime, I'll have my new Arizona license. I'll be able to vote again, and I want to know how I can get rid of this lady, this cinema lady, because I don't know nothing about her, but I don't like well, her. Well, keep in mind, she doesn't. she's not up for re-election until 2024, so uh, you got some time. Oh, the, key, okay. the key is, Mark Kelly is on the ballot in November, so you got to focus on Mark Kelly, because he, uh, we got uh -huh. to keep Mark in. He's, mm -hmm. on, he's on the ballot in this okay. November. 
Well, I'm gonna get busy. I'm gonna I'm get to work because this summer I'll have my license and stuff, so okay. uh, renewed and everything. So. All right. Well, we look forward to you doing that uh, and keep it up, Robin. Uh, and hopefully, we'll be in Arizona soon. Thanks a lot. All right, then, Robin Thames, Peoria, Arizona. Let's go to back to Georgia. Daryl Fun, Daryl Fun, calling from Georgia. Daryl, you are, are on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Go. All right, I have two questions. First of all, thanks for the opportunity. Have uh, safe travel on your way to Liberia. My first question was, um, since January 6th is called an insurrection, that former president can't run because of Amendment 14, Article 3 of the Constitution. So how do we pursue that? That's kind of my first question. What do you, what, what, I'm sorry, um, what do you mean? Second, what, what, oh, so what do you mean? Well, uh, Amendment 14, Article 3 says that anyone who participates in an insurrection cannot hold, cannot run or hold, hold an office after that insurrection. Okay. That's what, it, that's what it says in the Constitution. So it was just like, he can't technically run for president if he's accused of being a part of the insurrection, correct? Uh, let's see, Amendment 14, Section 3, you said accused. Uh, but does it well, say I mean, accused? Does it say, has... does it say accused or does it say convicted? Um, it doesn't say either. It says takes part in an insurrection. Okay. That's what it was saying. All right. Uh, so I'll, just... I'll, I'll, check it, I'll check it out and find out and ask our legal scholars. All right. And then my second question was, how do I formally submit a request for an interview for the black market se segment of the show? Uh, you mean for a black business? Send, yes, for a black business. Send an email to... Uh, just send an email to uh, info uh, at blackstarnetwork.com or send it to info, in, or, or send it to info at rollinsmartin.com. Thank you very much. Okay. Have a great day, sir. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so very much. Uh, let's go to Frank on the west side of Chicago. Frank, you're on Roland Martin Unfiltered. You're on the clock. What's up? Hi, my brother, my brother. I've been wanting to speak to you for longer, ever since VH1, but listen real quick. I just got two questions, too. Uh, you know, we did with this side with Jason Van Dyke, right? Yep. And federal charges. We want to be part against him, right? Well, understand this. The, uh, there's a Trumpster, okay, that's over this that can uh, bring charges, but he's not going to bring those charges. Well, hold on, stop, stop. When, you say, stop. when you say there's a Trumpster over it, what do you mean? A Trump appointee. He's going over our federal department. You know what I'm saying? Out of 55, he's the only one left in place thanks to Tammy Duckworth and Dick Durbin petitioning Joe Biden not to remove him because of the sense of material. No, 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 you, no, no. I'm sorry. You, you're speaking of the U.S. attorney that's there, correct? Right. Well, yes, no, so, yes. so, so the decision to bring... The point about no, 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 no. One second. The decision to bring charges does not rest with that U.S. attorney. Uh, that actually is reviewed and decided out of Washington, D.C. and the Department of Justice Civil Rights Division led by Kristen Clark. And was he appointed by Donald Trump? No, Kristen Clark was appointed by President Joe Biden, okay. and she formally was the right, president. Well she formally was the president of the Lawrence Committee for Civil Rights Under Law, and often appeared on this show. Okay, Roland, they give us the wrong information here. They got us thinking that this was the only one that left in place that Donald Trump appointed, and he has ultimate authority, and he's been left in place. No, that's not. No, 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 he, no, no. Okay, no, thank he, you. He might be the U.S. Attorney, but the decision, but the decision to pursue charges will come out of DOJ in Washington, not the U.S. Attorney yeah. in, not the U.S. Attorney there in uh, Illinois. I'm glad I brought that up. Thank you, Roland. Thank the you very much. Question is, Roland, Yep. Is the uh, is the other uh, death sitting raise the death sitting? It, it, it's about do again. I would just did a stop there. What do you think about the progressives saying well, how Joe Manchin played them? A uh, whole raise the death sitting hostage 
without attaching the uh, Build Back Better and the John Lewis Act to it. Well, first of all, thanks for your call. Bob Liners is here, uh, Joe Manchin. Uh, look, it's tied 50-50. One person can kill any bill. Uh, and unfortunately, that's the case. That's why we need people to actually go out uh, and build on that number in November uh, and not lose the majority. That's what's key. I'm taking two more phone calls, three more phone calls. Uh, again, got 60 seconds each. Viola Hedgepath out of North Carolina. Viola, you on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Go. Hi, Roland. Thank you for all you do. Can you hear me? Yeah, go. Yes, thank you for all you do. I was calling in about the address again. And plus, um, I'd love to speak to your panel, but I see that it's gone. Is you going to have a one day that we can call in and talk to your lawyers? Uh, yeah, we, uh, well, actually, remember, lawyers, they don't give legal advice. They can't actually do that. But you can certainly ask them legal questions. But uh, we're actually uh, working and producing a legal show for that purpose. Okay? Okay. You ask, for, you, you, you ask for the address. If people want to mail in checks or money orders, it's P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037. Uh, P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037. Uh, thank you so very much for your phone call. Sonia Little from Georgia. Sonia, you're on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, you're on the clock. What's up? Hi, Roland. This is why I love and support you, because you bring on people that we can support that helps the community, like Miss. I mean, Dr. Orly Smith, because once I seen her when you brought her on, I said, this is a woman that I need to support, and I will continue to support, because she keeps sending me those emails like you. I love you, man. You are doing it, and please, you make me, people like me, want to get out there and go do the polling, and go do different things. I tell you. Keep doing it. I, I appreciate you. it. I appreciate it as well. Thanks for your support. Thank you so very much. And I'm sure Dr. Hadai Nicole Green is going to uh, appreciate it as well. Uh, last caller for uh, today, Gregory Ware, calling from Ellenwood, Georgia. Gregory, you on Roland Martin Unfiltered. You're on the clock. What's up? Hey, uh, Roland. Um, good to hear you. Um, look, I just wanted to um, add some food for thought. I got to cut my TV down. <laughs> Um, I'm concerned about all the police killings and, and all these kind of odd things that are happening. And I'm just wondering um, if the president or, you know, Justice Department can intercede and maybe call an emergency act to stop the police from entering your house. Uh, well, they that, that, the possibility. well, that's one of the reasons why folks wanted uh, the George Floyd Justice Act to be passed, because it dealt with police reform. Uh, I know the White House is currently working on some executive orders on that, but that's why we've got to make sure that gets passed, which means we got to look. You're there. You're there in Georgia. Uh, sorry, you're there in, right. in, in Georgia? Ellenwood. Okay, mm -hmm. so we got to make sure Raphael Warnock goes back into the United States Senate. The folks who are in uh, North Carolina, we got to put Sherry Beasley in the United States Senate. Uh, we got to put in uh, the right person in Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin, in Ohio, in Florida. That's how we change it, and so we got to do the work. All right. Okay. I so, appreciate it. So, 
Okay, thanks for that. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. All right, folks, okay. speaking of Georgia, okay. Gregory and Travis McMichael have re rescinded their guilty pleas ahead of their federal court cases, which will now begin on Monday. Jury selection in the federal hate crime that uh, trial against the uh, father and son, along with William Roddy, William Roddy Bryan, will start on Monday. The men were convicted on state murder charges in the killing of Ahmaud Arbery while he uh, jogged in the South Georgia neighborhood in February 2020. Uh, and so, again, they turned down that plea bargain after the judge accepted accepted their guilty plea, but not the actual uh, the sentencing part. Uh, folks, a jobs data, new data shows that strong uh, recovery in January. According to the Bureau of Labor, Labor Stats, 467,000 jobs were added last month. Restaurants and bars added more than 100,000 jobs. Ooh, the people at Fox News, y'all, they weren't happy at all. This is what they were saying before the jobs report came out, which is why they trifling. So, so Peter, how... How will the White House spin this if if it is true as ADP the check this, uh, the paycheck cutter is suggesting it could be a loss of 300,000 jobs? How is the White House going to put a happy face on that? If uh, past is precedent, and usually at the White House it is, he'll come out and he'll say this is just proof that people need to get vaccinated, and he'll say that they've still created more jobs in a year than any president ever, mm -hmm. but that this is an extraordinary time because of COVID, and uh, they want to just... Uh, and, and you know what? He'll probably also, uh, if it goes the way that the last few of these things have gone, uh, push for the Build Back Better plan, because they use that as a catch-all. <laughs> right. It's going to create jobs. It's going to lower it's inflation. Like That's the only way to like get Rain anything Man. better. So, Peter, what vaccine do you get for job loss? Uh, yeah, I think it's in the trials still. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, Pfizer's working on it. Thanks. All right, Peter, thank you. They say it because it's... Well, Omicron. Fox was like, oh, we're going to lose 300,000. They were wrong by 767,000. Remember they said, well, they're going to try to put a good face on it? Here's Biden's good face. is taking everything that COVID has to throw at us, and we've come back stronger. I'm pleased to report this morning Many of you already know that America's job machine is going stronger than ever, fueling a strong recovery and opportunity for hardworking women and men all across this great country. America is back to work. Today, we learned that in January, our economy created 467,000 jobs. But that's not all. We learned that job growth in November and December over last year was revised up by more than 700,000 jobs. On top of that, 400,000 jobs that previously, on top of the 400,000 were previously reported. This morning's report caps off my first year as president. And over that period, our economy created 6.6 .6 million jobs. Boy, Fox is really upset. All right, folks, that is it for us. It's been a fantastic uh, week. We appreciate all of you for watching. Sorry, we never, I rarely go this long. I literally, I don't try to go past 8.30. Uh, but we had some fantastic guests. We wanted to get them in and get the phone calls in. Uh, so I appreciate that also for the staff as well. Thanks a lot. All right, so here's the deal, y'all. I'm flying to Texas tomorrow. It's cold as hell, icy in Dallas, but luckily no ice in Houston. So I'm going to H-Town to see my family. Monday, I'm going to be speaking at Grambling State University. 
University. I'm actually gonna be speaking when I'm live on the air. So uh, I'm gonna have a guest host on Monday. I'll see you guys back in the chair on Tuesday. And then we hit to Liberia uh, on Friday. And so we got some fantastic stuff going. I'll explain more uh, about that, uh, of course, uh, uh, next week as well. Uh, I wanna thank all you all who support the show. Don't forget, don't show the graphic. I'm just gonna give the information. If y'all wanna see in a check or a money order, peel, no, 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 give me the preview, please. I need the preview. Thank you very much. PO Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 2037, 20037, if you want to support us. Again, every dollar you give goes to support the show. You're seeing all of these names that are running right here. Actually, over here. It's on that side, sorry. All the names running here, those are all of our uh, proud contributors. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our contributors giving annually a minimum of 50, at least $50 each, $4.19 a month, $0.13 cents a day to support what we do. Last year, y'all gave $827,000. We want to hit $900,000 or a million. The goal is to hit a million. And so 20,000 folks give 50 bucks. Folks, we're there. And so Cash App is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zelle is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com. And so thanks a bunch, folks. Also, don't forget, support Dr. Green, orally.org. Also, if you are trying, if you're an HBCU student, gonna be a junior or senior in the fall, go to tmcf.org to get that, to, to apply for that, that the McDonald's scholarship in honor of the 150th anniversary of Alpha Phi Alpha and our uh, seven founders. And so uh, you see, we're always trying to help. It's about building the black community. We don't waste time with gossip and all that sort of stuff. It's about helping you, helping your families and making our condition better. I'll see y'all on Tuesday. Still, watch the show. Oh, shout out Dr. Greg Carr, his great debut of his show, The Black Team Awards today. If you missed it, go to the Black Star Network app. We got new episodes next week of Deborah Owens show, Reverend Dr. Jackie Hood Martin show, Faraji's show is now daily, and at the Greg Carr, and of course, Rolling with Roland as well. I'll see y'all. Holla! From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.